podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Well, hello everybody and welcome to the 388th edition of the Boxing Asylum Nutters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Wellings. Joining me on the call so far, we have Andy Patterson. Welcome to everybody in the chat. Welcome to everybody listening during the week, going live on YouTube from 8 o'clock every Sunday. Don't forget the Patreon RSS feed updates. Shortly after the show concludes, if you want to get us straight away, you can listen to us on YouTube as well. Of course, if you wish, don't forget to hit the like, the thumbs up, the thumbs down, whatever the hell you want. Share us around like the plague. Hello to everyone listening on the week. I've already said that. Have a nice SoundCloud, Apple podcast, Spotify, Amazon podcasts as well. We're floating about everywhere. Don't forget to leave a review of the podcast on a player of your choice throughout the entire month of August into September. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Andy's tweeting out the link there. Andy, how are you on this lovely Sunday evening? Not bad, uh, not bad, mate. Uh, some decent fights over the course of the week. Um, some controversy as well. Can he beat a bit of controversy? Um, Bean uh, making up some some headlines and that as well. Uh, a bit of content there, probably. Um, aye, so um, yes, some prospects I'm keeping my eyes on in that as well. Is obviously coming up short in that uh, with the judges. Uh, Lara back in action. Thought Gabe would have been here actually to discuss about about Lara and that, but. Uh, it's a 12-round snooze fest. I know you watched the full fight, mate. I ain't going into that shit, like, but um, fair play to you for that one. That's that's staunch hardcore. Fair play to you. Staunch hardcore penance to me, watching the full Erislandi-Lara fight. A full breakdown, or a minimal breakdown, coming on later. Jose Ramirez as well. Bit of Daniel Dubois, Bill of the Week's questions. Couple of guests lined up by Ozzy. No signs of Ozzy just yet. Hopefully he'll appear soon. Rapping Rob Kelly will be coming on. Uh, yeah, we have three guests all together, the first of which is on the call with us now. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Welcome to you, Stephen Lynch. How are you, Stephen? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on this evening. No problem at all. Just before we get into the meat and potatoes, did you catch the big heavyweight extravaganza last night, Daniel Dubois at all? Do you know what? I didn't, That was one fight that I've not caught yet, um, which is a great way to start this call. Um, but I'm looking forward to hearing the analysis of it. Um, yeah, didn't catch that one, guys. I was tuned into Perfectkin and White last week and Taylor, uh, Taylor's narrow win. Um, how's it, how did it go? Yeah, it was pretty much as expected. We knew Ricardo Schneider's coming up, inflated record, didn't look great. Uh, cruiserweight, couple of stone lighter than Mr. Dubois. He just got rid of him, as you would expect. The main thing was to get rid of him, destroy him, and move on to the Joe Joyce fight. But as you mentioned there... Dillian White against Alex, Alexander Povetkin's where it's at. No lucky punch as far as we're concerned. Tell us before you get stuck into the commentators, which we're going to enjoy, uh, what you thought of the fight itself, especially Povetkin's finish? Well, I thought it was it was a magnificent punch, wasn't it? Um, these guys must throw and train those kind of specific uppercuts and, and punches hundreds and thousands of times, but it's so rare that you see that kind of thing lands in a, in, in a big fight like that and, you know, have such a definitive concussive effect. Um, I actually, I, I'm not an after-timer, as Steve Bunce would say. I actually put a bet on Povetkin <laughs> to win by, by KO before before the fight. Um, I think I got odds about six to one. And, um, yeah, Povetkin, you know, he, he is 40 years old and, yeah, he didn't beat Michael Hunter, but... If you look at his records, you know, he went the distance with a prime Klitschko, albeit being dropped, but, you know, he kept getting up. And Joshua really caught him with, a, you know, a monstrous punch to, to take him out of there. And, you know, I think you guys were saying 
every fight that Povetkin's been in like that, he's been in a few shootouts in his time. And and um, even when he got dropped the second time by Wyatt, you could see the way he got up off the canvas. I, I was still relatively calm just even when he got dropped the second time and I knew, I knew he had it, he had it in his wheelhouse to kind of weather the storm, clear his head. Um, but even, even I didn't see the, the knockout being that conclusive. I did, it came out of nowhere and it was just time to perfection. And so I'm, I'm very happy that Povetkin has got, you know, another payday, you know, at this final stage of his career. Um, I like Dylan White as well as a fighter. But um, I'm sure we'll come on to this. What I don't like is um, if Sky Sports is, you know, excessive. I don't even know how to put it. Just re- you guys have talked about it at length, but um, I felt really shape- short change from the pay-per-view, actually. I really enjoyed the White fight, the Vetkin fight, and Katie Taylor on the undercard. But I still felt like I was actually short-changed from paying, you know, the best part of 20 quid. So, you know, I'm sure we can... We can get into the ins and outs of that as well. Yeah, let's get stuck into that right now. In fact, you mentioned what was going on inside the ring, but on the outskirts of the ring, we had Matthew Macklin and Mr. Bean himself, Adam Smith as well. What was annoying you so much about these boys then, Stephen? What was annoying me, um, and this was before, this was during the fight, and I think I was tweeting about this at the time, were um, they weren't, as you have just said, they weren't actually telling us what was going on in the ring. Um you know, White was winning the early rounds. No one's really disputing that. But Povetkin was landing shots to White's body. He It wasn't as if he was just taking lots of shots. But if you were to listen to the commentary going on, you, you would think that there was that he that Povetkin was being outclassed and that he was being, you know, sustaining a lot of damage. And like um, that was absolutely not what was going on there. Um, what you know, you asked me about the Dubar fight. What, what I did actually watch yesterday evening was um, uh, Joe Calzaghi's Amazon um, documentary. It's called Mr. Mm. Calzaghi. And um, if you want to see a one sided fight, you know, that Calzaghi, when he fought Roy Jones Jr. Um, in his final fight in New York, you know, when he got up off the canvas, you know, you saw all the, the showboating and, you know, he bust up Roy Jones's eye. You know, that that was a one-sided fight, and you guys picked up on it pretty well last week. You know, Adam Smith, he was reading Povetkin's um, career, um, you know, e- eulogy. He, he was, like, talking about his career as if, it had, as if he'd already lost, as if he was the one who was just been stretched out on the canvas. And I just found that very, very irritating because it's just... Um, th- when you pay money for things like that, you expect expert people, seasoned observers like Macklin or, or whoever they have on doing it to just tell you, okay, what is White doing now? What what is Povetkin trying to do here? Is he, you know, is he throwing combinations? Is he trying to counter the other guy? Is he trying to set traps? For me, as a you know, a big fan of boxing, I want to hear the experts telling me what's going on. I don't want to hear them trying to sell me this narrative and you know wrap this product up um so i think with adam smith in particular there's 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 a conflict of interest there because he's if i'm not mistaken he's the head of boxing for sky sports but he's also the head commentator and i think you wouldn't ever get that situation with any other sport where it's so obvious that they're trying to i want to find another phrase of describing this but they're trying to really push their 
their products and it's not in, it's in a way that people can really pick up on and i feel like just finally on this guys um i feel it, it it's obvious the market who they're catering to it's it, and it's a bit patronizing as well it's like they're they really think they're talking to people who are kind of stumbling out of the pub drunk you know football fans basically you know, your casual fans and I just think they need to give people a bit more credit for their intelligence. You know, we've got eyes. We can see what's going on in the ring in front of us. And it's just too often now the commentary is not tallying with what's going on in the ring. And that's just very disappointing. Well, I think everything you said is absolutely true. We spoke about it last week and before as well. Obviously, they're Sky Sports people, Matchroom, they're all in bed with each other. We can understand they're going to promote their brand, they're going to push their product to a certain degree, but it's to the detriment of the product now. As you said, you've got the likes of Macklin managing fighters and he's sitting there trying to follow the narrative. Uh, Adam Smith is following that narrative as well. And sometimes you need someone to come in with a bit of honesty and, and try and tell it like it is, as you say. So, I mean, how, how are we going to change this then? I mean, is is are they going to listen if people stop subscribing, if people cancel, if people stop buying pay-per-views? Is there any way of getting through to them? Or are they just going to say, well, as long as the casuals, quote-unquote, are still buying the pay-per-views, we're happy enough? How can we change this, Stephen? Yeah, I think I think I, I thought about this as well. And I think, um, you know, when people vote with their feet, if, if, a, if a significant number of people aren't paying for the for these pay-per-views in particular um you'd think that the execs would take notice as well um another thing in the short term um that, that maybe people in our community can do you know the hardcore so to speak and, and people probably already do this already but i think if if we kind of um let your coogan cassiuses and people like this know the people who've got access to eddie hearn and frank warren and and all of these all of the the top commentators and promoters and people if if we can get people like coogan to start asking these kind of questions i, I don't know how we'd phrase it to be honest um people like that have to be careful with the access that they get they can't be too um blunt i suppose but th- this is the problem that you highlight i think in particular with sky it's all just like a very it's like a it's like it's all very cozy, isn't it? It's all very chummy, and I know they've got in different gravy prevent- train, mate. It's a gravy train. It is a gravy train, isn't it? It's um, it's people scratching each other's back. It's like, oh, we'll get you know Johnny Nelson on Glenn McCrory when he was on, and it's just they're very obviously reading from a script, and um, it's just you know we're not stupid, you know, we're, we're people of all walks of life and all different types of sport and fans. We know when it's basically, you know, when you're out in the street and, you know, you get approached by a salesperson or one of the the charity people, you just kind of know when people are just trying to push something on you. And it's just that same feeling I get when I'm listening to the punditry and uh, the commentary. So I think to answer your question directly, uh, Steve, they they need to freshen things up there in terms of the personnel. Um, I don't want to get too personal with this, but. I think Adam Smith probably needs to move upstairs. Mm. They need to they need to fire a few of the people like uh, Sky Sports uh, Soccer Saturday have done. They just need to freshen things up um, and just get people in who who are not too closely aligned with Matchroom and Eddie Hearn and all of these people. You know, the, the, there's a skill to doing this, isn't there? There's a way you can excite the people who are watching the fights um without like so obviously you know being 
in a sort of salesperson mode um, with this. If you what 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 we want a better way of saying that is people like me. I want to tune into fights like this, um, and I want the the insight, the analysis, the commentary to to match you know the excitement that's going on in the ring, and and that was going on in the ring for the fight camp last week, um, and then that's how you that's how you get people like us to to buy into it. You know, we want to be excited, you know telling our friends about it you know it's just finally on this i'll give you i'll give you an example of this um uh, the steve bunts mike costello podcast i think has been absolutely magnificent throughout lockdown in particular there might be people who disagree with me listening on this but i think i think their their fight series you know when they go back in history and they do the watch along when they get sugar ray leonard and ricky hatton and um, all these guys on, I, I think that's that's been a really fantastic product, if I can put it that way. And it's obviously funded in a different way to Sky Sports pay per view. Um, but you know, I've said to so many of my friends who follow boxing, I've I'm always raving about it. I'm always saying, "Have you heard this latest podcast?" You know, I'm WhatsApping it to people, and that's that's how you get people to buy into your product. You know, not by constantly just trying to you know tell bullshit and bollocks and tell us something that doesn't tally with what we're seeing with our eyes yeah i think to close out the point personally i would say that until the bottom line gets affected and people stop buying things and then notice um, revenue streams drying up and blah 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 nothing will change until the actual money is affected i think anything else Stephen? you want to mention we have another guest coming on shortly anything you want to mention before you go um i would yeah just to touch on I don't want to recommend too many external things on, on you know, I'm on the Nuthouse podcast here, so I don't want to... Uh, go on, you're all right. ...to competitors, but, um, yeah, just I'd really recommend that Calzaghi uh, documentary, and I think um, his career is just... Um, just it merits revisiting time after time, you know, the way he cleaned up his division, albeit he had some quite ho-hum defences... Um, but you know he finished out his career in a really fantastic way by going over to America and you know defeating Hopkins and Roy Jones and I think probably his career isn't celebrated as much as as much as uh, as other people and he was exciting as well he had a really great style you know he's fast hands combinations mm-hmm. he, he had a lot of power in his hands earlier in his career and he 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 loved to to do a shuffle and a bit of showboating as well and you know I think. I think we should we should celebrate his career and, and other people who are active today who are who are exciting in the ring and outside the ring as well. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me on, guys. Um, be be interested to hear what other people think about the stuff we've talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome anytime. Have you got any social media or anything? It doesn't matter if you haven't. If you know want people to follow you or whatnot. No, it's okay. You can follow me, uh, Stephen underscore G underscore Lynch, L-Y-N-C-H. You can get me on Twitter that way. Lovely stuff. Thanks very much for coming on. Uh, See you again, sir. Thanks, lads. Cheers. All the best. Bye-bye now. Cheers, bud. There you go. Uh, Stephen underscore G underscore Lynch, if you want to go and follow him, came on, spoke pretty well about the commentary. We all know the problems. Any such commentary problems last night, Andy? Daniel Dubois against Ricardo Schneider's. No problem for Dubois in the ring, was there? I mean, we knew this guy was going to be poor, but uh, not that they want to over-egg things. This has to be one of the poorest opponents they've pulled in from abroad in a long time. 
Absolutely, I mean, I said that last week. It was a, uh, it was awful. When I did say that if it went past three rounds, it was, it was, it was a farce. Guys, slow, um, no resistance, nothing. I mean, okay, it was late notice. You know, you can you can throw a million excuses at it if you want, but it is what it is. It was it was a shocking opponent. And um, you'd be better just putting down the ball in front of a TV camera, put a heavy bag in the ring, and let it move about, and you know, just call time after like six minutes. Um, yeah, that's how bad it was. Um, and th- th- I suppose the only positive in that as well is if there had been fans there, at least they'd been home before midnight because you know how Frank's cars can kind of like run over and stuff. But uh, yeah, we got knockouts, he, he ended it early and that, so put us out of misery pretty early doors. So, uh, fair play to him for that, I suppose. Yeah, we've gone through it before. It was all about Dubois coming through on Sky. I don't want to belabor the point. Joe Joyce was at home enjoying himself. I think Joyce, he tried to bring the banter, didn't he? The fact that there's this lag, very slight lag on the Wi-Fi doesn't help matters. But I thought Joyce spoke a little bit better. He's starting to get into it. I'm starting to warm to Joe Joyce. There's a sort of lovable simpleness about him. I don't think he's a bad guy, you know, Andy. Nah, he's fine, man. Listen, uh, these two are no built for talking bullshit at the end of the day. I mean, Joyce has been fucking buried away in the amateur scene for like how many years? He's just turned pro. He really is supposed to try and you know cash in as, as to how much he can kind of like bring in at this point. Dubois, it's just stuff. You know, any any, any contrived beef now, that's what it is. It's just total contrived. Anything they try to put on, it's just it's just what it's just just fake. You know, these guys are just you know fighters at the end of the day. They don't talk nonsense. Just put them in the ring, let them do it. And um, I'm, I'm telling you right now, actually, um, I don't know if, well, the, the, the way I talk about it, I know people kind of like, like look into about how we talk about this fight, for example, but for me, I, I, I do I do at this point favour kind of Joyce going into this fight, like, I mm-hmm. really do. I don't know about yourself, but I just, watching, I do Joyce, well. watching Joyce over the years and stuff, he's just, he's just... I've just got this thing about him. He's he's just tough. He's just going to go through it. And Dubois can't kind of get rid of him early doors. I just think it's it's written at Joyce's Joyce's wheelhouse by that point. Yeah, I've, I'm starting to fancy Joyce as well in the fight. Actually, I agree with you. I don't think both of the, either of them are real trash talkers, but you've got to do it to sort of sex it up a little bit. I mean, Frank obviously wants it on pay per view. He's talking October the twenty fourth. He said himself they're going to make a commercial decision. If they can't get fans in, I don't think by that point they're going to be able to pack out a stadium. So it's going to be limited seating and limited fans. And you would think they're going to want to get as many people in as they possibly can. So I said before, I'm sceptical this is going to take place on October the 24th if they're looking to get a sizable amount of crowd in under. Well, I'm looking at the the, the Tim Zoo fight. I mean, remember what I said to you last week or the week before, they were hoping to get 15,000 in for that fight. That's a 50,000 seater stadium. Judging by the, like, the aerial photographs we got to see, it, it looked like a decent crowd. There was no kind of mask wearing and stuff, but Frank's hoping, or at least they were talking about getting fans in for this fight, but um, depending on the venue, I mean, I think you would need something. Frank would need to put a plan forward to the board, I suppose. He's going to have to have certain things and provisions in place. Uh, you then need to rely on the public kind of like adhering and just basically complying and stuff. Just don't be mongs, don't be arseholes. Just wear your face mask, wash your hands, bring Purell with you and just keep your hands clean. Um, I suppose as well as, uh, again, how much the budget for, as in like, how much the ticket going to be? Um, I know, for example, I think it's probably best if Frank could maybe do it in October to try and have it in an out- outdoor venue, but undercover somewhere. Um, I know some of those those German cars and stuff, it was it's been taking place in some sort of kind of venue where, outside stadiums, but it's got like a kind of yawning over the top of the ring and stuff, so 
it really it would depend really on how he could where he was going to get it actually. But if he can get fans in, it'd be fantastic actually. But again, who did, who does he give it to? Is it going to be the family? Is it going to be the friends of the family and all that sort of stuff? The fighters or not? Who knows? Um, it's, it's, it's a tough one. But um, the main thing is if we get this fight on, that's the main thing. And as long as the money's right for both guys and they're happy to do it and they're wanting to get get it on, that's what we want to see. Yeah, let's have a look through the chat. See who's hanging about there. Oh, just as he drops his phone there, episode 388, me and Andy winging it at the moment. Uh, hopefully, rapping Rob Kelly will be coming on shortly. We've already had Stephen Lynch hanging around. Ozzy's running a little bit late, hoping to get on at some point. Ozzy's organised a couple of guests for us as well, the first of which we were expecting to have appeared by now. He hasn't quite just yet, so I will drop him a message. Just let's have a look through the chat, as I mentioned. Teddyboy94 is there. Shout out to Hamed. Uh, Bentleg Coogan, Dave Smith, Tosh Bear, AZ, Joe Kennedy, shout out to Joe Kennedy, good guy, Jim McDonald, um, Dave Smith, did I mention him? Maybe I did, maybe I didn't, Ian Weather, hi God, Plodder, just flicking up here, if I miss you out then tough shit, Paul Rafter is there, Ricky Gravel, not putting any videos in there hopefully, uh, Trading Leather Boxing, good to see you as well, Marcus Hustler, Eggy Phil was there, he's disappeared to listen later on, who else have we got, Fox B, uh, just flicking up now, Howie John. I want to try and give everybody a shout. Banana Rama, shout uh, uh, listening in rather from Florida. Good lad, Banana Rama. Gossip Column. Uh, who else have we got? Uh, Mark Boxio, MB. My voice is giving out. Hope I haven't got the corona. We were saying this offline, weren't we, Andy? We we're try- starting to get worried about the old COVID 19 here. Yeah, the throat's starting to give way, which is always a bit of a problem when you're on an audio. Uh, medium Ian McKenzie as well there. Trying to get everybody fit. Take Ames. Good lad, take Ames. Hope you're studying well there. Sosa as well. Yeah, let's give it up for now then, shall we? Uh, on the undercard, Andy, I know you didn't get to watch too much of this. Sam Maxwell winning a unanimous 10-round decision over Joe Hughes. Uh, scores of 98, 92, 97, 94. And another 97, 94, all in Sam Maxwell's favour. Just imagine how good Joe Hughes could be, former friend of the pod, if he could use that right hand. He has an excellent left jab, excellent left hook to the body as well. Uh, Sonny Edwards, not quite. No, I don't know what was going on with the the hair there. He had those little. I don't know. My, I put that my, my daughter's hair like that. You know those two little <laughs> sort of pigtail pigtail things. Andy, you have a daughter as well. No doubt you're a, a dab yeah. hand. We could maybe do Sonny's hair for him next week. I've actually tried day doing the pigtails with the Hoover. Have I tried that? <laughs> yeah, with oh. the with with the hair bobble on the I, end. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it on Facebook one year. I've tried it on her when her, when her hair go her hair. Um, her hair got uh, longer and stuff. She's just kind of mouthed off the background here. I, I mean, any, I don't know what happened. He's, 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 because when I came in, actually, I only caught the last three rounds of that fight, and it was the boy. What? Generally, did they cut them off, or did they just take the hairband out, or something like that? I, you know what? I started watching the fight, sort of give up. I was saying to Sam, friend of the pod, I ended up painting the wall with the fight on in the background. So I don't know what happened to it, but I've never. I never understood this haircut thing. I know Malinage, he's had his hair cut off in the past. The, the girl that time had her hair cut off as well. Robbie Chapman was boxing on Wednesday night over in the MTK show. His hair was all over his face, these dreadlock things that he had in. And I'm thinking, why wouldn't you just get it properly tied back or at least like sort of get it cut off or something? So maybe Sonny had to have the chop, but I, I don't know. He's uh, then, adds, the chop you know, off, mate. You had the Amish beard. <laughs> you had the fucking Amish beard. They didn't even have the tash. You had the fucking, you had the Amish beard. Oh, good old Sonny. Him and Charlie, though, both with Frank now. Do you think that could be a good move? Charlie was talking afterwards, I think, as revealed by friend of the pod, 
Uh, Smido last week, uh, Charlie's got a fight coming up. Sonny's got a, Sonny's a good fighter, I think. He's very skilled, he's very talented, and he showed he's got a bit of balls about him if people put it on him. But you do worry about him at the highest level, given now that he has a lack of power. Especially at that weight, anyway. Um, it's just it's full of sharks. I mean, Sonny's has he got three knockouts or something like that? And yep. as you say, mate, I mean, it's the same with the uh, we'll obviously get to the fight, the Abbas Barua as well. Um, at a certain level, they you know they, they may get to world titles and stuff, but I think it's going to have to be at a situation where it's going kind to of like suitable for them. But you kind of worry about them, you know, how they you know, for example, you, you get Baruru against like say Rosario, for example, you know, with that knockout of Williams or, or Charlo, for example. And you got Sonny, was he super flyweight? So you've got Estrada and Gonzalez, and you know, you could throw a you know, and Cajas, who's a decent puncher, and then Tanaka, for example. So yeah, you know, you need to be. I would think he would need to be absolutely on his A plus game, run your A game and stuff. He needs to be a fight and fight his life to kind of handle the likes of, the likes of these top guys, Gonzalez, as I say, and even some of the tie fighters who are tough as nails. Um, absolutely, but um, it says he's, yeah, he's, he's skilled enough. I, I don't know if he's got. I think he's got problems with the hands and that as well. So I don't know if that kind of inhibits his, his his power and that and how he throws his punches and stuff. I'm sure he's got problems with the hands. Uh, Willie Hutchinson got a win as well. Sam Noakes, David Adelaide, uh, quite a few uh, interests there. What about Marco Hook, Andy, over in Germany? I mean, he was going in against this Dem- Dennis Lewandowski. I don't know if you saw it. Feel free oh, no. to talk about Abbas and Kolkai if you want, but what about that? I mean, Lewandowski was absolutely huge, wasn't he? Coming in, completely outweighing him. £335, apparently, that Lewandowski was to Huck's 223 which makes you think, you know, if he, t- he could maybe still make cruiserweight. But uh, I, I did see it. I mean, I seen a meme on on Twitter, and I don't know even what round it was. I think even the the fella put it, it was at Timo. I think his name is. He basically said, "Look, I'm really putting in some effort here to actually watch this fight to even give you this gif or this meme, whatever it was and stuff." But yeah, I mean, he won it three scorecards, 100 to 90. Uh, so yeah, but I think there was a big, there was a big shock in that undercard. Um, the old Paul. Rafael Jokowski, I, think he, I don't know if he, did he fight Kel Brook at one point? Or am I yeah, I think wrong? he did a while ago, yeah, that's right. Yeah, years and years ago. Anyway, mm-hmm. apparently he upset the odds against Rico Muller, who's a, a German fighter who's, again, European level at best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll come back to that shortly. Just before we do so, Andy, delighted to welcome our first guest of the evening, our second guest, in fact. It's Troy Williamson. How are you, Troy? I'm not bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, keep well, actually, on this Sunday evening, we're talking a bit of Daniel Dubois, and if you managed to catch his fight last night, what did you make of it? It was easy work, wasn't it? I don't think you, um, it kind of took an out from that fight, to be fair. I've said, I know it shook, shook a bit of uh, ring rust stuff, but it just, uh, just took care of it. Easy, easy, really, wasn't it? There was yeah. nothing, um, yeah, there was nothing in front of him, if I'm honest. The guy was unbeaten, I think, but... He was, uh, he, was, he, was, he was no good. He was not in Daniel's level. Well, that's the thing, Troy. They were saying, you know, there was a chance to shake off some ring rust and that ahead of the Joe Joyce fight. How much benefit, really, would you have got from fighting somebody like that? <laughs> Nothing, it, it, in my opinion, especially when you're going to go in and fight um, someone like Joe Joyce. But like you say, you can only, you can only beat who's in front of you. So I'm looking forward to the, the, the Bois Joyce. We're looking forward to that. Hopefully it does go ahead in October. Yeah, we, we were wondering whether it would, whether there'd be fans in the arena. Frank said he was going to make a commercial decision, saying it does go ahead. Who do you fancy? I'm, I'm going with George Rice. Um, I think, I don't want to sit on the fence to be fair, but I think if, if the work can't get him out there within the first four or five rounds, I think, I think uh, Joyce could get to him. 
Yeah, we think Joyce is experienced, he's tough, he can hang around, he's fought probably the better opposition, guys like Bryant Jennings, Dubois, obviously the fellow on the way up, but Joyce, he has a bit of staying power about him, doesn't he? Oh, a million percent, but people, people just think that Joyce is just cut or come forward, but he, he can box, you don't, you don't just get a, a silver medal in the uh, in the Olympic Games uh, if you can't box, so he, 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 can, he can box for a big guy and um, yeah, he's got some staying power. And he's very strong and he can take a take as well. So I think if Daniel doesn't get rid of him and then it will get interesting as the fight goes on. Yeah, just before we move on to your career, sticking with the heavyweight theme, we obviously saw Dillian White getting knocked out by Alexander Povetkin weekend. Big shock, although Povetkin, very experienced puncher. What did you make of that one? Sad, really, because of the, um, I'm always behind the British fighters, so I was rooting for Dillian uh, to perform and then... Um, I think he was boxing. He was boxing superb. He was, I think he was winning most of the rounds. And then, boom, it only takes one shot. So you've got to be switched on at all times because with them 10-ounce gloves on, it doesn't matter if you're in with an elite fighter, a journeyman. If you take one clean, then it can cause damage. And we, obviously, we've seen that on the night. He was in full yeah. control and one shot and just lights out. That's the thing. I mean, Johnny Nelson was talking about it and he wasn't the only person who's mentioned this phrase, a lucky punch. But if you look at someone like Povetkin, the point was made to us last week, this guy's been boxing for 30-odd years. He's, he's always setting you up for a, t- a shot like that. I mean, it, it, what do you think about the concept of a lucky punch? Definitely. You could see from round one, he was jabbing and dip, dipping into the dipping into, onto his left. So it, it looked like he was he was looking for that, that shot. And then obviously he just kept on, kept on doing it, jab, slipping, nothing was opening up. But then when he went, when he did throw it, obviously jab, slip, Dillian threw his jab, but he was wide open, and it was just like it just a, it was a, a lo- lovely combination, just a jab, slip, screw shot. It was uh, beautiful. It was, I can't, I don't think it was a lucky punch. I think he was he was setting setting up from the previous round. If you if you watch the fight back. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, obviously, it's difficult for that to happen, Dillian getting knocked out so brutally. Put yourself in his shoes. What do you think your mindset would be about getting in with Povetkin again sooner rather than later? How do you think you'd feel about it? Um, obviously, I think it's just uh, every fighter's mindset is obviously you want to make that one right. I think that's why he wants to jump straight back into, straight back into the rematch. But um, we've seen it with, um, who was it? David Price, when he got knocked out by, was it Tony Thompson? Yeah. Like, that was a massive, that was a, that was a big shock, shock upset. And Good he, point. Wanted to, he wanted to make that wrong weight and jump straight back into the rematch and it happened again. So, I, I, I don't know. Have, um, I think if, I don't think it will happen again if if, if, if Dillian books him again. But, like you say, obviously, it only takes that one shot. So, I don't, I don't really know. I wouldn't like to be in, that, in, in, in his shoes, <laughs> to be honest. Well, exactly. I mean, thankfully at the moment, things are going pretty well for you. 15, 0 and 1, 11 knockouts, four-year pro, 29 years of age. It just seems now, especially after the, that win over Harry Scarf, like things are falling into place and it's time for you to push on now to those big fights. Yeah, 1 million percent. I've been calling for these big fights for a long time now and uh, they're, they're just starting to happen. So really looking forward to the future and um, hopefully I'll be out before Christmas. Hopefully any, any any names on the horizon? I mean, obviously, you don't have to call anybody out, but I mean, is there any names no. mentioned? Um, no, there's nobody's been mentioned. I'll just, to be, I, I've said it before, I'll box anybody my way domestically. Obviously, I need to prove myself domestically first. So, anybody domestically, I suit well away, I'll, I'll box. So, whoever they whoever they, they give me, then yeah, we'll be, we'll be accepting it. 
Yeah, just looking ahead of you in the box rec rankings, there's some interesting names. Obviously, the likes of Hamza, Shiraz, James Metcalf has a fight coming up as well. You've got that little quartet of Sam Eggington, Ted Cheeseman, Scott Fitzgerald and Anthony Fowler, and then, put, you know, Kel Brook sort of away on his own. Any, anyone you fancy out of that lot? Yeah, they're all great fights. Obviously, there's the Hamza, Shiraz, um, James Metcalf. They're, I think they're the only two that are with, that are with the same, uh, same promotion team, so... They're easy fights to be made. Obviously, all the rest are with matchroom, but yeah, there's some uh, some massive fights out there for me, and um, I'm confident in beating them, beating them all. Yeah, absolutely. We mentioned the Harry Scarf fight there. What was it like fighting in that sort of bubble in your call? It must have been really weird. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was really weird. It, like the full week was weird. To be fair, like um, obviously there was no no press conference. Um, the head to head, the way in, that was all weird. They were only letting like one coach at a time, so there was me, and my coach, Harry is coach, and then the guy who obviously who calls names out. But yeah, it was uh, on fight night. It was completely strange. You could hear you could hear everything. You could hear your coach, you could hear his coach, you could hear him breathing, getting out of breath. You could hear you could hear everything. It was quite strange, but it was um, a great learning fight and um, took a lot of took a lot of positives away from that fight. Yeah, uh, you got the the win, obviously, by uh, scores of three points, two points and one points. What were the positives? Because afterwards, obviously, Harry thought he'd won. Big Clifton Mitchell thought he'd won as well. What were the positives you took? Yeah, the positives I took from that fight, I, I went into the fight, I had an injured neck for uh-huh. one. Um, yeah, I had an injured neck from, from my last bout on the Sunday. Um, I had, oof, I've, I've got I've, niggles, I've been training since February. So it's been a long camp. I've been like I've been training for six months now. So I've picked up all these little niggles. I've been up and down and weight. We got told I was boxing in July. That, that fell through. Then we got told it was the end of July 31st. That fell through. Then then August the 20th. Then it got brought forward to August 15th. So really, mm-hmm. I, was like, I, I, I didn't know when I was like, obviously I was, tra- I, I was training hard, but it was hard to, sort of peak if you know what I mean because I didn't know like didn't know what sort of day I was what sort of day I was training for so obviously I've, I've been in training since February then we've had opponents that fell fell through um, Harry Scarf got, I think they mentioned him 10 days before I boxed so 10, 10 days before I boxed I didn't have no opponent so it, obviously I was going to like fight week thinking I'm going to I'm a, I'm a boxer still training that obviously so it was hard like I, I didn't really think I, I, like I didn't reach my peak in, in training because I was up and down and it was a very long training camp instead of just getting an opponent eight weeks out and then training for that one opponent I found it pretty hard pretty, pretty, pretty hard to, to get up to get up for it and then um obviously fight week we, we, we headed down to, to London me and my coach and uh, we stayed in the bubble and it was just it was pretty it was just um I had a lot of things going on to be honest with you so I, like if I'm completely honest I think the best version of me beat the best the, the worst version of me beat the best version of Harry Scarf because I think that, that's the best he can bring where it was a, a very bad performance for me but I did think I deserved to win I, I did think I won by one or two rounds it was it was close I'm not I'm not saying it wasn't close but I definitely deserved to win by one or two which obviously that's, it was a unanimous, unanimous decision it wasn't no judges went firm if you know what I mean 
Yeah. Well, this is the thing that fight fans often don't see. I mean, if, if you've got a date and it's floating about all over the place, you're thinking about your weight, you're thinking about when you're going to peak, maybe overdoing it, all those things are going through your mind? Oh, 100%. Like, like you say, obviously, we, we, we went in, in February, first of all, we went to boxing May the 2nd. So we were flat out trending. And then in March, I think, 24th, was it March 24th, I think, when, when tits up with COVID. Yeah, yeah. I think it was March 24th, so obviously we laid off a little bit, but I was still I was still training. I was I'm, obviously I'm I'm a professional, so I was still in the gym, ticking over. Um, wasn't wasn't intense. I was just doing my own things, training from home, running, going to the boxing gym three times a week, and then we got told that we could be boxing in July. Would I be ready? So then we start we start picking it up. Obviously, I said yes. Start picking it up. Got told July 31st, I think. So we started sparring, started getting in good shape. And we got told it was going to be August the 1st. So it got pushed back again. Then August 20th. Then brought forward. So the training was just, it was up and down. My weight was up and down. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was a strange one. It was been a strange training camp, this one. But I got the win. And um, hopefully next time we just get a solid opponent that's set in stone and we can train for him. And then, yeah, push on. Yeah, get, yeah. Absolutely getting the win's the main thing. Final uh, couple for you, Troy. What about the World Series of Boxing? What was it like fighting in that? Yeah, it was good. I, I think I got some in the deep end a couple of times. Um, <laughs> I wasn't on GB. Yeah. I wasn't on GB long, and uh, the top guys on GB were getting offered these fights with the Kazakhstan's and the Cubans. For whatever reason, um, they weren't taking a fight. So I, I, I got asked if I if I took the Cuban, I could go to the Olympic qualifiers. It was a no-brainer. They didn't even have to mention them going to the Olympic qualifiers. It was just getting in there and. Obviously, it was an experience learning learning from boxing the, the world number one. So yeah, jumped straight in. At the time, he was Olympic gold medalist and world 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 champion. So yeah, it was a good, uh, great experience. But I think I got some deep end a couple of times. I boxed the Cuban twice. Um, what do you call him? Nur Sultanov from Kazakhstan. Yeah. And uh, Charles Conwell from America. There's uh, I think it was three Olymp- three Olympians I boxed there. All the better yeah. for the experience, though, yeah. Yeah, a million percent. It was, um, yeah, it was a great experience. It was, I was in with some good fights as well. It was not me deaf. Absolutely. Any social media presences, Troy? You want to make us aware of that the lads can follow you? Yeah, well, you can get me on Instagram, Troy Williamson underscore one. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well, Trojan underscore ninety one. I've just come off Facebook because it just yeah. <laughs> It's a lot of shit, isn't it? Facebook. I only use it to, uh, to advertise me fights and sell me tickets. But obviously, with COVID nineteen, we don't need to sell tickets. So I've come off for the for the for the time being. Don't blame you. Don't blame you. Uh, thanks for coming on. We do appreciate you giving us your time on this Sunday evening, sir. Yeah, no worries, mate. Thank you for having me. Cheers. No problem. Take it easy. Best of luck going forward. Thank you, Paul. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers Troy. Bye bye. Troy Williamson there. That was a good one, Andy. I enjoyed that. He spoke very well, didn't he? And fair play to him as well. That World Series of Boxing, as you mentioned, he, he didn't half get thrown in. <laughs> yeah, he walked the gauntlet in those fights. You know, Alan Lopez, he fought him twice, I think, and got stopped in the second fight. Uh, over in Kazakhstan, I think it was. And as he says, he, he, he fought uh, uh, Norzantanov as well. I, mean, he went, I think he went four or five fights. He never won a fight in World Series of Boxing. As he said there, actually, he absolutely got thrown at the deep end. Uh, you know, Cuban Olympic gold medalist Nurzo Tanov, who's like you know European uh, 
world champion and all that sort of stuff. And you know, they're doing their bit now as as pros and that as well. You know, they're both undefeated. Troy's got undefeated record as well. He's got one draw, obviously, and that. But uh, yeah, he's he's doing pretty well and stuff. So uh, yeah, Alan Lopez. Obviously, the Cubans are not turning pro at the minute. Um, so I'd maybe like to see him maybe try and you know defect and that. See if he's gonna see if he's gonna turn over. Yeah, we love a good Cuban defector. Um, I mentioned Willie Hutchinson, Andy, earlier, and I know you didn't see the fight, but I wonder why they're moving him so slowly. They were mentioning maybe going in for a British title or something. David Hay says he hasn't got that experience under his belt. You wouldn't confidently pick Hutchinson, I don't think, against someone like a Craig Richards or Umar yeah. Sadiq or whoever, because he hasn't done that 10 and 12 rounds. I mean, he moved to 12-0 and 0 last night. He's clearly a puncher. They put him in against the guy who's now two, two wins, three losses, three draws. I wonder why they're moving him so slowly. Well, I think it's it's more to do with his probably about his youth. He, he turned pro like three years ago. He must have been like eighteen at the time. Um, I I just I, I kind of felt that like, you know considering you know where he was at that point, he could have maybe stayed amateur and stuff. I mean, he's he's got a decent pedigree as well as an amateur. He's been all over the world. He fought in Russia and against those kind of tough Eastern European block countries and that as well. So it was it was a strange one. And as you say, he's, I think he's fighting. Basically trash, and obviously you know when when he signed with you know same with David Hay back in his, his pro debut yeah, and stuff, yeah, you yeah. think to yourself, you know, who's advising him? 18, 19 year old kid, and you think to yourself, even at that point, you, you knew David Hay was coming back purely for himself, purely for a financial gain. So why is David Hay signing fighters? You know, he's no active, he's no promotional outfit and stuff like that. No, I know it anyway. Uh, I know he's signed over now with uh, Willie Hutchinson. Something the MTK is with now. I'm not too sure actually who he's with these days, but he's fighting nobody. Um, obviously, you know, you're saying he's a knockout artist and all that sort of stuff, but I think at the same time as he's, you just look at the records, that like, he's not fighting anybody. Um, probably he's going he's to top out at like heavyweight at some point. At, you know, at the age he is, 22, 23, and that. But um, at this point, I don't know what, he's, you know, what the goal is. Obviously, try and get him into British title. You know, but. We'll wait and see. I think at some point though he's going to have to kind of get stepped up in class um, just to see where he's at because who he's fighting is nobody and he's learning nothing for me at this point. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, joining us on the call, guest number three. Welcome to you, Denzel Bentley. How are you, Denzel? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. Good to see you. Keeping well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm keeping well. I'm keeping well. Excellent stuff, man. We were talking about Daniel Dubois knocking out that fella Schneiders last night. Did you manage to see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Good knockout. What What do you think then? I mean, someone like Schneiders, what would Daniel have learnt from that? Uh, to be honest, um, Schneiders weren't on Daniel's level. I saw Schneiders' record and I thought he'd do a bit better than that. But he weren't on his level, probably a bit too small. Daniel's big, Daniel dangerous, he punches too hard. He probably wouldn't have learned anything from it. But at the end of the day, it was just a fight to get him out. He hasn't been that all year. It was a fight to get him out, to get him ready for Joe Joyce's fight. And to be honest, Joe Joyce's opponent weren't any better. So, Yeah, exactly. Michael yeah. Vallish wasn't much better. You're quite right. That's the big fight we all want to see, providing it goes ahead at the end of October. Who you got then, Daniel or Joe Joyce? I'm going for Daniel. You don't bet against the house. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what have Daniel got then uh, that he can do to Joe Joyce? Because we think Joe Joyce is a big, strong, experienced guy. Daniel might be a little bit green. Talk us through it. Daniel Daniel's very big as well. Um, Daniel's technique is 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 very it's it's to a T. He throws his jab well. <clears throat> he throws the one two well. Even though he's big and people think he's slow, his timing's on point. 
I've seen that in sparring firsthand. That's why I, I can say that um, confidently. And his feet are also very good. He's very, he's very good and light on his feet for a big guy. He's in and out before you know it. And he doesn't take as much punishment as Joe Joyce. Joe Joyce just eats shots and then throws him back. So it will be a good fight for as long as it lasts for. But if Joe Joyce takes too much from Daniel, he, he might get knocked out. Yeah, we, we like uh, Daniel's trainer as well, Martin Berres. I think he did a very good job against Gorman. He, he's got his head switched on strategically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you saw, you saw in the Gorman fight, Gorman was meant to be the quicker fighter, the more skilled fighter, but Dan beat him to the jab every time, made him miss and ended up knocking him out. Dan didn't lose a round in that fight and Gorman was meant to be the, the, the more skilled fighter. So he showed you there that he, he can also do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Just before we move on to your career, sticking with the heavyweight theme, what did you think about Dillian White getting knocked out by Povetkin last weekend? Mm, that was a brutal knockout, to be honest. That that was a that that took everyone by surprise. He was winning the fight quite comfortably, dropped Povetkin twice, but I just think he took his foot off the gas and kind of saw it as a routine win, maybe because if he stuck it on him, he would have got him out of there. He just started taking his foot off the gas and cruising the fight and. Probably lost a bit of concentration. That's why he got caught with that shot. And the shot, was, it was a nasty shot. And he got caught with it clean. And that was it. Yeah, we were talking to Troy Williamson just before you jumped on the call there and was saying about Povetkin. Peter, Johnny Nelson was mentioning it being a lucky punch, but Povetkin's so experienced. We think that he would have been setting him up for that throughout the fight. No, nah, there's no way that's a lucky punch. That was not a lucky punch. You don't throw that shot by accident. He dipped to the side and threw the shot, like through the, the little short uppercut or screw shot, whatever you want to call it. He 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 meant to throw that shot. He it wasn't just it it wasn't like he was on the back foot throwing his hands because he was being attacked and landed the shot. He he slipped and came back up with that short uppercut. He meant to throw that. That wasn't lucky. Yeah, absolutely. We thought that too. So it's good to get verification on that. Just looking at your career then, Denzel, we've obviously had you on before. We, you are very welcome coming back with us. 13-0, 11 knockouts, 25 years of our age. Things are pretty much moving on the way up for you at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about the bubble? What was it like fighting in BT Sports Studio? It must have been pretty weird. Uh, the whole build-up was weird to it, but as I was fighting, I didn't really realise, not realise, but I didn't really acknowledge the fact that I was in the studio, there's no fans, I'm focused on the fight, if that makes sense. But the whole build-up to it was a bit weird. Um, staying in a hotel for, I think, three days or four days before getting out to fight. I've never experienced that before, so that was new to me. Getting the cab, it was like a one-way system, one way in, one way out. As soon as you mm. fight, you can't stay behind, you've got to leave straight away. It was all pretty weird to me, but as I was fighting, I, I was I was fine. I was okay. So I think next time I go in the bubble, I'll, I'll be all right with it because I know how it works. Yeah, got that little bit more experience. Obviously, you're in against Mick Hall, tough as boots, but you were just a level above and landing some really heavy shots yeah. towards the end. It was getting a bit uncomfortable for him. Yeah, no, Mick Hall's a tough guy, tougher than I expected. When when he when he came in, the thing is, it's funny because I say that, but I didn't I didn't expect to stop him, but I didn't know he was that tough. Because watching him, he 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 boxed a bit more. Every time I watched him on YouTube, every time I watched one of his fights, he was more boxing. So I thought it was going to be a, a slightly tricky fight. But on the night, he came out and started swinging, guns blazing, and we ended up having a scrap. So I had to not rearrange what I was doing, but I, I kind of fought to his pace, which I shouldn't have. I should have slowed down and focused on what I was doing. But because I didn't expect the way he was coming out, 
it kind of forced me up my rhythm. But like you said, I was I was a level above, even though he's he's a he's a class fighter, and I think he'll give a lot of prospects problems. But I was just that level above, and I'm hitting him with too many big shots, and he obviously he couldn't take it for long. You mentioned there about what Mick was going to bring to the table. Obviously, it's difficult with the journeyman, but as you move up in levels, do you watch guys, uh, type of fellas? Does you, do your trainer watch tape or do you go in blind? No, I don't go in blind. Um, anyone I fight, I, I kind of know about. I like to keep updated on the division and what's going on. So everyone in the division, I kind of know about. Um, I kind of know roughly. I've seen them fight before. So I never go in blind unless it's like someone that's coming in from abroad that I've never heard heard of before that's just been put to me. But anyone in the UK, I already kind of know who they are or I've seen them fight before. And when the fight gets called or put to me, my coach will also watch them and be like, this is what he does, this is what he doesn't do. But I already kind of got a clue of everyone in, in, in the country at, at middleweight. Obviously, with you being from Battersea, the commentary team were making the comparisons with the excellent Howard Eastman. The Battersea bomber went the distance with William Joppy, went the distance with Bernard Hopkins. Howard was a class act. Are you happy with that comparison? I'm not really too fussed about the comparisons because the fight before that, they were comparing me to Nigel Ben, so and they're two big <laughs> different fighters. Um, I'm happy they're 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 pulling legends' names out the hats and throwing them at me, which is good. Is always is always good to be putting the name of some put in a hat with some big names that have done their thing in British boxing so if I can obviously end my career being at that level with them when you're talking about the great British fighters being alongside those guys I, I'll, I'll be grateful for that but at the end of the day telling me who I fight like or who I think that fight or who they think I fight like doesn't concern me that's that's their job and I leave it to them I'm not going to start looking up Howard Eastman or Nigel Ben to try and keep up with the comparisons I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing but like I said it's it's, it's nice to be put in put in the same bracket as as these legends that came before me. Yeah, well said, well said. Uh, so the Mick Hall fight was on the 25th of July. Uh, Mark Heffron on the 12th of September, he's 25 and 1. That looks like a tasty scrap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it's going to be a good fight. It's going to be a good fight. Um, my Heffron's a good fighter. The fight got put to me, I think about a year ago, maybe, maybe a bit longer. Yeah, I think about a year ago, last year sometime. And from then, I've been thinking about it like, oh, that's a good fight. It wasn't a fight I really thought of, but I thought it's, it's, it's a good fight. And ever since then, we've been kind of saying each other's names, being back and forth. Um, promoters and matchmakers have tried to make the fight, haven't been able to be made. But I think they've only taken this fight because they didn't rate my performance against Mick Horn, which I don't blame them because I didn't rate it neither. But it is what it is. They've taken it now and I'm going to be better prepared and it's a different fight on the night. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting fight, I think, because Heffron was obviously a big puncher on the way up. People were excited about him. I was there that night on the Frampton Warrington undercard whenever he fought Liam Williams. I was surprised and impressed by Williams' performance, the way he moved around, the way he used the jab. He never got greedy and he finished him off at the right time. Does that show Heffron's limitations, perhaps? Hello? Can you still hear me, OK? I can hear you, Steve. Hello. You're still with a call there. Are you there, Denzel? I think we might have some connection issues here. I can hear you, mate. I can hear you, Steve, as well. And Denzel's trying to get in. Hello. Let me see if I can remove him and add him back to the stream. Are you there, Denzel? Oh, seems to have lost him. He's dropping on and off there, actually. That was a shame, because that was going quite well as well. 
Are you there, Denzel? I think we might have lost him. Hello, yeah. can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. There he is. Look, dropped off again. That's a shame things are going well. I just hit him with a classic question as well there, Andy, and then we lost him. Yeah. That's what I see. He's trying to pop back on there, but he's... Ah. Here we are. Let's see if we can get him back. Hello, Denzel. Yeah, are you there, yeah. sir? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was a cracking I I question I asked you with as well, then. <laughs> oh, what? Did you not hear? I answered the whole thing as well. <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. Now, what I was saying to you was, was about Heffron fighting Liam Williams and Williams putting in such a quality performance that night, maybe showing Heffron's uh, vulnerabilities. Oh, yeah. No, um, Liam Williams put up a great performance that night. That was a, that was a, a great performance. In, you could say he showed um, his vulnerabilities, Heffron's, Heffron's vulnerabilities. So. But how long ago was that fight? I think that was about two years ago, 2018. About 18 months ago, yeah. Yeah, so I personally would have expected Heffron to improve by then. If he hasn't, then it, it, I don't know how far he can go in the sport, but I, I, I think he would have worked on some of those things and improved on that. So I'm expecting a different fight and a better Heffron than that. So I'm not calling out him. I'm not calling out, well, not, I didn't really call him out anyway, but I'm not taking this fight because I think he's washed up or because I think he's done or Williams has showed us the blueprint of how to beat him, blah, blah, blah. I'm expecting a better F1. He's had two years. He's had all wins since then, even though he hasn't really fought anyone since that fight. Sorry, but um, I'm, I, I guess all the opponents he took during then, he he took in fights to work on things that he's been trying to work, improve on things that he's been trying to work on. Sorry, so I'm expecting a better F1 than 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 the night he fought Liam Williams and a more confident one because he should be used to the to that kind of limelight now or that kind of level of fight. Yeah, absolutely. I would expect so. A final few questions just before we let you go, uh, Denzel. Yeah. Talking to Liam Williams, he's going in against Andrew Robinson. Uh, Robinson's a good fighter, but it's going to be very difficult to beat Williams. The form he's in at the moment. Yeah, I think I think Williams wins that. Um, I think it's a quite easy win. If he's looking at world level, of course, someone like Andrew Robinson shouldn't be able to, you know, be in there too long with him, especially where Mark Heffron stopped him before. But then again, saying that is different. Just because someone stops someone doesn't mean you have to stop them. But I think Liam Williams does carry a bit of power and he is a good fighter. So I'm expecting him to beat Andrew Robinson quite convincingly as well before he moves on to his world level. To be honest, I don't know why he's fighting him. I don't know why he's fighting Andrew, Andrew Robinson. I think he should just vacate and let one of us get in there with him. But it is what it is. He's doing what he's doing. And after he comes out, he moves on and hopefully vacates the British or someone else can fight for it. Yeah, absolutely. Over on the matchroom side of things, Felix Cash was recently seen beating up Jason Wellborn. What did you make of that performance? Yeah, it was a decent performance. It was a decent performance. Uh, nothing too great. I felt like Wellborn didn't show up. But then again, I, that could be credit to Cash for not allowing him to get in his rhythm. But I just thought it was an average performance. I didn't think it was anything special. Like, it, 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 it didn't blow me away, but he'd done well. So well done to him. And uh, finally, on this particular topic as well, someone you've been vocal about in the past, Chris Eubank Jr. I haven't heard much from him lately. Yeah, Christian Bank Jr., I don't know, but I've seen on his socials that he's been training with Roy Jones and stuff, so maybe he's just trying to take time out to... Bless me, sorry about that. Um, maybe, he's just trying to, maybe he's just trying to take time out to, to soak in some new stuff or to, to, to get a kind of new style drilled into him before he takes it out and tries to box with, with this new style because I don't think he's ever had a trainer before. So this will be his first time having a trainer, but 
other than that, he looks like he's enjoying his life on his social media. He's not in no rush to get back. He probably wouldn't. He doesn't seem like one to me to fight about a crowd neither, unless it's like he's getting called for a Canelo fight or something. So he might be missing for a while before he comes back. Uh, our listeners are loving this, by the way, Denzel. One of them has sent in a, a question for you. He said, tell us about Denzel fighting on the streets with gloves. His uh, brother bought him from a market store, some kind of fight club. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, my brother bought like gloves and uh, head guard and stuff from, from market and brought it home. These times, we never used to watch boxing or nothing, though. We never used to. He just bought it thinking, all right, we're going to charge people that want to fight each other to fight each other. <laughs> At the end of the day, uh, no, one, no one ended up paying. We were quite young. So we just used to like gear up and fight with our friends. So we just used to go in like any block that was open in the area, that like, loads of people will come round, and we just have it out. So like we started off just fighting till whoever's tired. Then as we got into boxing, we started doing that like, one minute round, started understanding a bit more, and we just used to fight each other. So he he'd have someone to fight, and I'd have someone to fight. So after they fight, we switch around. I take the head headgear and the and the gloves. Then I fight whoever I'm fighting, and everyone's recording it and stuff like that. And it was like that for like the whole summer, for a while before I actually got to college, met a friend that boxed, and then joined the gym and started boxing properly. Which amateur uh, club did you sign up with, Denzel? Fisher, Fisher ABC. And obviously attribute a lot of that to them uh, teaching you the basics, the fundamentals, you know, get really oh, yeah. starting your journey. Yeah, yeah, 100%. When I got there, I thought I knew how to box. I didn't know how to do anything. I, 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 I think after the first two weeks that I sparred, uh, I think the guy was about 57 kilos. Yeah, 57 kilos. And I was about 14 stone and he battered me. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But I got used to it. And then obviously I started learning. So so that's like to fish ABC and Steve Heiser. And on a final note then, what advice would you give for a youngster who's just getting into boxing or maybe just thinking about getting into boxing? So go for it, man. Try it. See if you like it. If you like it, don't give up. It gets really hard. It gets hard. but just keep focused, man, and keep pushing through and keep doing your thing because at the end of the day, no one knows what it really takes unless they go through it. So if you've got people telling you, uh, maybe it's not for you, don't listen to them. Just you, you figure out for yourself. That's the only advice I give you. Figure out for yourself. Excellent. Wise words on a Sunday evening. Any social media mm -hmm. presence for the guys to follow you with? Yeah, um, the number two, two sharp underscore D, both on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, that's me. Excellent stuff. Thanks for joining us, giving up your time. I appreciate it. No, no, son. Thanks for having me, man. All the best, Denzel. Thank you. No, son. Take care. Right, bye. bye. Good interview there, Andy. I like Denzel, you know. He's a good guy and he's a nice fella and he can fight too. He can fight, mate. And I'll tell you what, um, I was saying to John Evans that there as well. I, like, I really fancy him to beat Heffron. Uh, I fancy him beating pretty well. I just think he's flattered to deceive, even though he's pedigree and his background and that amateur career and stuff. I still think he's really flattered to deceive and I think it might be uh, Bentley's time, actually. I think, um, I think he'll do well. I think he'll probably handle him pretty well as well. Yeah, absolutely. He's um, he's a skilled fighter. He can clearly punch as well and he's going on the way up. Uh, I'm not sure how far we got into that German card. I know I, I do apologise for asking you about that big fat mess, Dennis Lewandowski, but yeah. did you manage to get onto Kolkai at all at any point? No, I didn't, mate, but just to cover that, actually, obviously, as I say, he's... Um, uh, well, briefly, f f Feigen boots in that uh, against uh, Saidi. It was it was a decent enough scrap for that level. I tell you what, see Saidi, see one fifty four for like a, a British fighter, maybe like a Cheeseman or a Eggington stuff like that. I tell you right now, I fancy him against any of those guys. Um, 
I did think Fagan Boots were maybe a stop to him actually, but because uh, he was come up in weight as well. But Saidi was was tough, and you know he had his moments in that as well. And he would be, you know, I think it'd be a very very hard fight, very very hard fight for any fighter actually, especially coming up. But Kolka uh, against uh, against Abis Barrio, as I say, is new. Barrio, I've always been. I've been watching very kind of just started his pro career, kind of latter half of his amateur career and stuff. And I like what I see to a point. Uh, he's struggling with the fact that he hasn't really got a punch, uh, which he could really could be, be doing with, for example. Because if you see him against uh, the the guys he's knocked out, for example, and they take like Carlos Molina, who's no a great fighter, but he's been the course, he's been over tough fights, he's been a world champion and stuff. That showed to me that he, he didn't have the power to really kind of try and turn a fight. You know, if he had the box to a, to a plan, he would, he would win the fight easily. Now, to me, he won the fight 116-112, in my opinion there. Jack Kolkai was basically the recipient of a, a gift. Now, I'm not saying that it was, it was a robbery because it was a close fight. There was a lot of stuff in there where as a Kolkai would come back at him, for example. There were a lot of close rounds. The first six rounds, for example, the, the judge, I think it's Aiko Bebich, he scored the first five rounds to Kalkai, 10-9. And he scored round six, 10 each, gave it a draw. Well, in the same same fucking sequence, Oliver Bren gave the first six rounds to, to Barrio, 10-9. What the hell are they two guys watching? For example, what is Bebich watching? So that means all he had to do was really give... Um, Kokai one more round and he won the fight. And what I really picked up on the on, on the scorecard as well is when we started tweeting about it, I, I mentioned that Mick Collin got involved. I think uh, is Mick trained by Adam Booth just now, eh? Am I right in yes, saying that? Yes. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, Barrio is obviously trained with Adam Booth, they obviously know each other and stuff. So obviously uh, Mick's got a, a bit of a vested interest and stuff. Next minute, Callis Erling gets involved, and everything Sean Brown and all the Polish guys are getting involved in that as well. And it made a fantastic point. See if that fight had got stopped at some point due to a cut, I had to go to scorecards. Kolkai was winning that fight on the fucking cards, regardless what was <laughs> happening. Regardless what was happening, mate. And I'm saying to myself, yeah, I do if I can make a point because I'm saying, well, I'm, I'm no raging at the result as such because it's a close fight. Although I had them winning 161 12, there was a lot of close uh, rounds in there, and there were a lot of busy uh, rounds in there as well. For example, Barry O was. He was banging the body, he was he was very active, he was fainting, he was twisting, he was turning and stuff like that. But Kolkai would come back at him and stuff. As I say, a lot of stuff was maybe blocked, stuff was maybe wasn't catching clean and all that sort of stuff. So I can get it. But the scorecards make this very, very fishy because you've got IBF and, and a eliminator, it's not a final eliminator, but if you look at the, the rankings, Kolkai, the two belts on the line here were WBO title and some sort of IBF trinket. Kaukai is ranked in the top five or top six with those two bodies, but he's ranked outside the top five or top six with IBA, WBC and WBA, right? Now, my German's no great, but I'm sure he offered a rematch after that fucking fight, Kaukai, which he should offer and it should be getting made and IBF should be ordering it as well because that was, I'm not saying disgraceful, but the cards just do not match up. Just do not match up. And the thing as well is that, uh, that Bebich, he gave... Round 12 to Barrio. In my opinion, and the, and the opinion of the last two judges, and the opinion of a lot of people on Twitter and that as well, is Barrio lost the 12th round. Kalkai mm. won it. So, Bebich needs investigated for that one, definitely. It's just, it's complete, absolute shit. 
And I think whatever, uh, judging it as well as I, I'm saying that Colkai's probably the A side, because um, Barrio came in, came in, he walked in first and he got, he got announced first in that as well, so I'm assuming that. But I've got to say, is every angle was covered for Colkai. A, if I get stopped early, he wins it on points. He gets the distance, he wins it on points as well. So every option was covered. And to me, that, that Bebic is basically putting a fucking Adelaide Bird scorecard for Glove and Canelo. That was just absolutely shocking. And so I'm going to say on it, I'm not going to go overboard on that, but again, ugly scorecards. And the winner was, to me, again, and I think a lot of people was would, would say that the German won the fight. Eh, sorry, Abbas Barrio won the fight. Jack Colkai needs to be eh, offered, just do the gentleman thing, offer the rematch, which I think he did. And it needs to be ordered in that as well, because that was just disgusting. Just to see those two scorecards, the first six rounds to be just the absolute polar opposites is absolutely disgusting. It's clearly those two guys are watching different fights, or the scorecards have been filled in beforehand and handed in before the fucking fight started, because that is just completely wrong. The first round I can get you, Kalkai, I thought they, you could suggest it's very, very close, but if you watch Barrio very late in that first round, he lands a kind of a downward left hook that maybe was the telling shot of the round that could have maybe just swayed the judges a wee bit to say, well, uh, yeah, I think he won that round. But in only give him any of the first six, it's just absolutely wrong. So that needs investigated. That needs to be ordered for a rematch. Especially, I mean, if that was an a, a, a eliminator, IBF need to do something about that, definitely. Yep, Germany is the new Germany. You know, the news, water is wet and bears are shitting in woods. Takes me back to Edison Miranda and uh, <laughs> Arthur Abraham type of territory. I mean, no, it's not quite as bad as that, Andy. I mean, do you remember the old Eurosport cards? And you used to watch them from Germany or Poland or Italy, mm-hmm. and Steve Holdsworth used to commentate. I remember watching the one the ones. can't remember who it was who was fighting. But the guy just got knocked down, and the referee sort of caught him and picked him up and then deducted the guy who'd hit him, who was the away fighter, a point. I remember my old man, who's a complete casual, was sitting watching, laughing, like saying, is this what boxing's all about? And I'm like, that's boxing on the continent on Eurosport for you. <laughs> remember Sam Buchanan being against like Mike McCallum and like, you're getting scorecards like 116, 115 and stuff. You know, do these dudes not even want to try and like, give a win at a fucking fight and stuff? It's just, yeah, I mean, that's, obviously you mentioned that situation. That's more like a uh, big, uh, big Terry. Uh, with Nathan Cleverly against Sergey Kovalev, isn't it? Just, I'm on, we'll get you back to the corner. We'll get you out for another round. We'll get your ass kicked in again. But yeah, I mean, even if you go back to Carlos Monzon, I mean, Carlos Monzon's some of his middleweight title defences in France and that, I mean, some of the scorecards that were, were, were honking as well. was clearly just, it was like the, the easy way out. Just give like a, a you know, Errol Graham, you know, fighting Sambu Calambi in Italy, for example, 115-114. But then another judge would get 116-111. So where was the knockdown? You know, it's just just disgraceful cards, man. Disgraceful. Italy was... If you talk about Germany, Italy was also bad back in the day. Back about the mid-80s, early 90s, they were pretty poor. Yeah, the fans in Italy were quite dodgy as well at a time uh, in the 90s going into the 2000s. I know there was a lot of crowd trouble because I remember uh, Neil Sinclair was going over to fight Daniele Petrucci for the EU Super Welterweight title, I think it was, back in about 2009. And oh. I remember, say, I remember saying to Imandi, I says to, before the fight, uh, "What, well, Sinky? Are you worried about the crowd trouble? You know, there's been a bit of bother lately. People throwing chairs and stuff. Are you a bit concerned?" He goes, "Well, I wasn't until you fucking mentioned it." I, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what I was going to say, you could mention Argentina. Well, that thing is what I was going to say. Like uh, Nigel Ben, remember he fought uh, Mario Galavano 
uh, for WB, yes, WBT, yes. the middleweight title. I think you banked me in the crowd that night as well. As, and fucking, I, think, I don't know if you got cut or whatever it was, but the Italians tried to then try to get it changed to a, a no contest or technical decision and stuff. But then it, it then got re- reverted to a, a retirement. But Ben was winning the fight, like, say, on two cards, but the other, like, like 30 28. But the other card had it, like, say, 29 28 to Ben. So obviously, I think it was all WBC rule that if you got cut, the other other fighter got a point deducted, and then obviously when Ben got the decision, which by the way his team had to fight for at ringside to get that uh, to get that belt, and then goes to Eubank and says, well, "Now we can do business and get your, uh, the rematch on." So I uh, that was uh, that was another thing I can think about Italy as well. That's right, a few of the boys have jumped in. We'll be getting them on very shortly. Just before we do so, shout out to some of our favourite subscribers over on patreon.com forward slash boxing asylum. Guys like Richard Lodder, Slick Digby, who are there every month, Ian Pirri, Sean Nomas, Vidal, Gordon, Jamie D, Red West, Holly Lewis, holding things up behind the scenes. Holt, always good for a question or two. Mike Wrigley, Jamie, Davey Man 100, Gary Lockwood, Saul Brocklehurst, Kevin Crawford, Matt and Matthew Reynolds. Join them over on Patreon if you want. Plenty going on over there, including punches from the past. Not so much Smido, though. You're on the call with us, though, Smid. Uh, a lot of Yo. love for you last week. Smido could make Prozac depressed, was one of the YouTube comments. <laughs> I've had some good comments on YouTube over the years. I should really get them quoted on my wall as motivation in the morning, yeah. I mean, look, I just bring the casual perspective to the Boxing Asylum podcast. Yes, we love having you on. Anything that's uh, been tickling your fancy this week, Smido, uh, in your casualness? Um, no, not really. I, I saw um, the Dubois fight on um, Friday or whenever that was, Saturday. Um, yeah, that was shit, wasn't it? Um, yeah, waste waste of time, really. Um, I do think Dubois is pretty good, though. I know that's not a groundbreaking opinion right there. But, uh, yeah, no, I do think he uh, he will prove himself to be good. He's only a youngster, isn't he? 22, I think they said. Um, yep. I, I think he'll better George personally. Um, yeah, and it's just a shame that other than Fury and Joyce, Frank hasn't got many uh, British options on that side of the promotional pond. Um, so either they'll be forced into fighting someone across the road or, or going across the pond to, uh, to try and make it there. So um, hopefully that Joyce fight goes ahead, but I can't see it happening if we've got no... Um, They've got no uh, crowd crowding by then. Um, the BT show generally was full of mismatches, but the look and feel of the, the show, uh, I had no problem with it. I mean, Fast Car would have, would have you think that, um, you know, it's it's outdoors or nothing, but the way that that studio looked and the setup and Fury was there and David A, and I thought it looked perfectly fine. I mean, what's the difference between that and what was happening in? in Eddie's back garden, a couple of fireworks on the moon. I mean, there really isn't much difference. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's obviously, at the same as uh, But, yeah, no, that was it, really. Um, there's not really much news as such to report on, is there? Dylan uh, uh, White's been, been hammered from all quarters, as deserved. Um, you know, and he wants you to, to, to back him now and not kick a man while he's down. I mean, he's never done that in his life. Dylan White, so yeah, I think he's been uh, brilliantly treated by the likes of Uncle Fr- um, who've we had, Bob, uh, uh, Warren, Andy Ruiz, they've all been laying into him, so yeah, good stuff, long, long may that continue. 
Absolutely. Stick with us for as long as you want, Smido. The reinforcements have very much arrived, including Gabriel Lewis, the Texas Tornado. G-Murder. G-Murder. <laughs> Saw him on camera earlier, almost. How are you, Gabe? <laughs> I'm killer, Steve. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. You know what, Gabe? Smido was talking about fireworks, so I thought, what better place to bring you in than at the Microsoft Theatre, Erislandi Lara against Greg V for Vendetti. Fireworks were definitely not in place on this one. Yeah, they look like, uh, I don't know how much fireworks you guys do over there, but the 4th of July over here in the States is big. Everybody shoots fireworks. You got fucking average Joes shooting fireworks that can take their heads off. Uh, you got people shooting them in town in the backyard. There's a goddamn burn ban because it's so dry here in Texas and motherfuckers will be shooting off fireworks. Um, but there's always this one fireworks that will always go maybe a foot up in the air and then they explode and everyone just fucking starts scattering like cockroaches. Uh, and, and that's about what the Laura fight was like, except they were the fucking shitty fireworks. They were like those cheap ass fucking pieces of shit that you get at the roadside stands. Uh, yeah, that would be the Laura fight. I mean, you know, he didn't even look good last night. He wasn't even sharp. I mean, his punches were not that great. Yeah, he landed some, but I think it goes to show how far down the hill he's rolled because he looked halfway decent compared to his opponent, uh, who looked like absolute shit. Um, I mean, it was just, uh, nothing, nothing worth watching on that fight. Uh, I had that and another fight, which we'll probably cover shortly. I'm sure people are waiting to hear uh, how that one went. But, yeah, not a fan. Not a fan of all of that fight. Boy, shit. Yeah, keep the powder dry on the hands of stone. Andy, just quick one from you. I know you didn't watch the Lara fight all the way through. More power to yeah. you. Interesting on the undercard, Alfredo Angulo looking like shit up a super middleweight, deservedly losing to a guy who equally looked in bad shape, Vladimir Hernandez. I thought Hernandez was a worthy winner, but was shout out to Greg Vendetti coming in there from Boston a week after Joe Smith Jr. Upset Alvarez. I love these sort of tough East Coast white boys, you know, the fellas who go in and fight for a world title and the next morning they're putting up slate on the roof at some construction <laughs> site. A white boy working on the roofs in the summertime, <laughs> eh? That's no going to end well, by the way. It's, uh, that's why one thing I hate about women, by the way. Oh, it's, it's, it's tough being bringing up kids, tough being a mother, by the way. You've never been a white boy working up the fucking roofs, by the way, in the summertime, July heat. <laughs> You've never done the job. They want to hear stories about, oh, it's tough. Fucking work up the roof in the summertime, you've been a white, tasty white boy like myself and that. Uh, yeah, but um, listen, at the end of the day, I mean, look, this guy's fought nobody. And he somehow got a w, WBA top, was it top 10 ranking? Top 15 possibly? Got iced off Michel Soro, who I, I really like. Uh, but at the end of the day, is this, look, I, I, watched, I watched the highlights of this fight. Lara, he had a good shot in the fourth round. Uh, heavy, a huge left hand, I think it was. Uh, but, you know, I, I just, you know, just step up, man. Obviously, you're, you're levels above this guy. Gabe's obviously going to come in here and defend Lara, because he's a big Cubanite, but um, you know, unless Lara, I, I know he put out feelers to uh, was it was it hard for a potential rematch and stuff, and they said no and that. But unless he's fighting someone in the top five, I ain't interested. By the way, and sorry, look, uh, mate, mate, listen, I I respect you for watching this. You spent an hour watching that fight, and your eyes must have been fucking bleeding because 
I watched the six minute highlight package and I'm like, I'm dead. I, I ain't watching any more boxing today, and that's what happened. Uh, I kid you not, the last notes I've got written is on this fight. Lara of uh, uh, Vendetti, and I've got like two two lines written here. It's just basically Vendetti's ranked in top, the top 11 WBA, and Lara landed a huge life hand. That was at round four. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose that you could look at it and say that he's. Even at this point, what is he in 35, 36? 37. 37. It doesn't look like he's, he's regressed much, I don't think. He, he's, he still does what he does. The American um, dream, Andy, putting fans to sleep since 2008. Aye. <laughs> uh, give me some rap, though. But, uh, nah, but listen, look, he, he said he moments, for example, you know, Canelo, which he pushed him all the way. Um, Hard, for example, great fight. Castaño potentially could have lost that one. Gaucha and all that sort of stuff. I just he, he he does what he does, but he's he's going to be a bit for a while. But um, unless it's like a top top, unless it's a Charlo hard rematch or a Castaño rematch, I ain't going to be lining up to watch Lara anytime soon. And that's that's just the way it is, unfortunately. Absolutely. Just before we bring Gabe in on Tony Luis and also Ramirez, Smido, quick one for you. Ozzy mentioned last week about Delphine Pursuit and Katie Taylor. Del- Delphine maybe took the, you know, took the loss a little bit too well, and Holt jumped in this week over on Patreon and said Ozzy was right. Apparently, Pursuit watched back the Taylor rematch and scored it for herself, and now certainly thinks she shouldn't she shouldn't have lost. Well, of course she was going to say that. Um... But no, but to be fair, I didn't watch the fight, as you can probably guess, but um, I did see the back end of the interview because that's just when I tuned in and it was all a bit friendly for me. But obviously, I think you often get that in them women's boxing. We saw it the other week where there was more, um, uh, you know, uh, raw beef between Steffi Ball and Joe Gallagher than there was the fighters. Um, so, yeah, no surprise that she's gone back and, and watched it and... Or, or, you know, had a few days to have a different opinion, but it's going to make no difference whatsoever because they've done that twice now in Katie Taylor's both times, as far as I'm aware. Certainly, as maybe a third fight will take place. Who knows? Maybe it won't. Last Wednesday, the 26th of August, uh, shout out to Darren Tetley, went in against Liam Taylor, didn't come out on the right side, Tetley, suffering his first loss. Taylor's a pretty good fighter, actually, around that sort of domestic level. Gary Cully got dropped against Craig Woodruff, came back to win. Wins for James McGiven and Fergus Quinn as well. Lewis Crocker in the main event put on a really good performance, I thought. Boxed very well. Showed he's got power, poise uh, against Lewis Green. And briefly, Andy, Lee McGregor against Ryan Walker. Walker was rough, tough, rugged. Very disappointed oh, yeah. about getting stopped at the end, to be fair to him. He was really annoyed. He came back on IFL afterwards, I believe, and said, look, I shouldn't have read. It, it did look bad the way he sort of was huffing with Lee McGregor, but they made friends in the end. And McGregor's got a nutritionist on board now. He's trying to put the Farouk fight behind yeah. him, even though he got the, the verdict on paper. I thought he looked pretty good. He did look pretty good. And he, he did say that, uh, obviously, bringing the nutritionist on board and stuff, he says he could make 118 still. Um, obviously, they want to see the cash Farouk rematch. Um I didn't have I didn't have McGregor winning that fight. I thought Farouk won that fight. Um, any day as well as look, any day, McGregor's going to wait. Um, I th- I really do think he's going to struggle to make one eighteen. The kid's huge for the weight, and I think Farouk would be at disadvantage going up and wait at this point as well as I think he's going to try. Uh, I, I mentioned Eddie about this as well as you know what is he? He, he signed to he signed Farouk and he's done nothing with him yet. He's got nothing mentioned, for example. Um, which is a bit disappointing, but. You're right, Ryan Walker was hard as nails. He took a trimming in that entire five rounds of that fight. Like body shots, 
you know, basically McGregor was like kind of like working teens, you know, just just work on some shots and stuff. And end of the day, it was um, he got he got the stoppage and stuff, which was pretty much expected. But I was really surprised as to how tough Ryan Walker was, and, that. and I, I would like to think as well as we, maybe we we bit more time and maybe proper trainer or whatever and stuff. I think that guy could maybe go a certain point as well. I, I think there's a potential British title in, in, in that guy, to be honest with you. I don't know if yeah. it's me, but I, I, th- I think there's a, there's a certain level to it. Maybe area level, English title. English but maybe, I, yeah. Yeah, but certainly, me, I, I, I don't, I don't think the guy's a bum in any any way, shape, or form. No, McGregor, no. I think, is a very, very good fighter. He's a very good amateur. Um, as I say, you know, to, to go in against a guy like Cash Farouk, who seven fight and that become British, unified British coming off champion and stuff, and deal with Walker like that, who was as I say, game as fuck, came forward, tried to kind of put it on him and stuff. I think proper training. The kid's got a title running him at certain level somewhere, and uh, to me, that he's got a decent career in him, in my opinion. Moving on, talking to decent careers, Gabe. Uh, quite the career, Jose Carlos Ramirez, WBC super lightweight, WBO super lightweight champion. Majority decision win over Victor Postol. I want to hear from you about that. Also on the undercard, Arnold Barboza Jr. moves to 24-0. He managed to avoid the bombs from Tony Luis, former friend of the pod. Don Trella putting in a 99-90 scorecard. Tell me about Ramirez, Gabe, because quite a few people seem to have Postol winning the fight and he was using his jab very well. I came out of it with a different perspective from a lot of people. My... My view of it was that it was very close. I thought Ramirez just about nicked it, Gabe. But rather than thinking he's going to be um, maybe easy pickings for Josh Taylor, I think he's going to be a handful, Ramirez. You know, I think he's pretty fit. He showed a good chin. He's not the best fighter in the world, but I think he's going to be difficult to beat, if not for the judges' scorecards. Did you come out of this uh, favourably viewing Ramirez, or do you think he looked pretty poor, Gabe? Well, I think he looked like what he is. He's... he's uh come forward kind of guy. He brings some fire and some energy and some heavy hands to the match. And, um, you know, I mean, he's not, he's not a kind of guy that's going to go out and put on a boxing clinic in terms of, of pure skill and, and understanding distance and, and, and using a jab and, and keeping off a straight line, you know, all those like kind of things that we talk about um, and consider to be, kind of textbook boxing skills he's more in the style of of a tough motherfucker that's going to come in and he's going to hurt you and and you're going to know you've been in a fight and so i think it just got made to look like what he is last night uh and not that's a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination um uh super entertaining guy to watch and and i think post all kind of showed a little bit of what we know he can do and what you know, what he's capable of. Um, I, I think it was very close. Uh, I wasn't really scoring it uh, as I went along, but I, I had felt like Ramirez uh, uh, took it in the end. Um, but it was close. I think if Postal would have, uh, and Andy mentioned this, uh, I believe, in the chat the other day, uh, or last night rather, um, if if he would have dropped some more right hands in there, I think he could have taken the fight. I think he could have could have done a little bit more damage. But uh, Postal is a is a kind of a tall, rangy guy, and um, I feel like he fights well in that that uh, uh, European style of kind of standing up and, and working at range, as opposed to being an inside kind of fighter. And um, yeah, it was it was close. I think if if uh, 
if anything, it showed us that Ramirez is a tough son of a bitch. And, and uh, I think a fight with Taylor is going to be tremendous. I, I think that's just going to be a, a really fun fight. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I'm a pretty big Josh Taylor fan. I, I like what he does. Uh, but I don't know that he's going to survive Ramirez if Ramirez comes in in good shape. Uh, with a good camp and, and, and also considering that, you know, he uh, doesn't come in with any kind of problems that leads to him getting cracked and getting ended. Um, I think it should be a hell of a fight, to be honest with you. I'm really Taylor's a big guy, Gabe. Ta- Taylor's a physically big guy. Taylor, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm 5'10". Taylor's taller than me. I don't care what box rate says. He's 5'11". Is I I wasn't I wasn't aware of the size differential. You know, I guess I haven't looked at him and seen him as overwhelmingly a big guy. You know, in comparison to his opponents. I mean, um, I guess sometimes a little bit of it is the uh, is the fact that you're watching them. You know, from television, and you don't really get a perspective. You know, when you watch television, Manny Pacquiao doesn't look so small, but watching him at fucking Cowboys Stadium, we were uh, in the in the third row of like so normal football games. The third row is pretty good seats because you're talking about 200 some odd pound guys, heavyweights that look okay. Uh, but from from where we were sitting at, Pac looked like a fucking small fry, looked like a little kid, you know, out in the middle of the field because uh, I fucking put my credit card in wrong, so I, I missed out on my floor seats for that fight way back in the day. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess a little bit of its perspective and not really realizing maybe necessarily how tall he really is and how rangy he could be. Uh, but either way, I mean, either way, I think it's a hell of a scrap. Um, and it, it, to me, it's really 50, 50. I, I, I think Ramirez is going to come out on top, but it wouldn't surprise me either way. Yeah. What I would say is Andy, I've been critical of Ramirez in the past. I'm not his biggest fan, but there's something about him. I just think he's going to be really hard to beat for some reason. Yeah. It's going to be hard to beat. I, th- I think the, um, what post did pretty well the last night was like, well, at points was keep the fight at distance. I think if he let the right hand go more often, Rather late in the fight, he could have won that fight pretty handily. I had it a draw, um, and I've I've got no issue with cards point or two either side for whoever. But um, I, th- I think uh, Ramirez tried to up the pace, uh, kind of like the midway point in the fight uh, through four, maybe through seven, eight rounds and stuff. Um, to be honest, it looked like he tried to kind of oh, it did definitely look like he was he was getting the better on the inside. I think as well as a lot of people, especially what I'm reading today, especially Americans and stuff, don't rate Josh Taylor much as a boxer. Now, people need to remember us, for a Scottish fighter to get onto the GB squad eh, in the UK is, is very hard. And Josh ended up there, ended up in the Olympics and that as well. He can box when he wants to, but he's a fucking maniac. He loves to get into a fight. He wants to go into a tear-up and stuff. And the red mist comes down and you see it. I mean, listen... Against O'Hara Davis, for example, I heard Shane McGuigan actually lost him mentally because he was just hell-bent to go in there and just fucking seek and destroy Hagler against Hearns-esque. And that's what he done. But um, if Ramirez wants to talk shite and all that sort of stuff, Taylor will meet him. And I agree with you. Look, Ramirez, his best work is on the inside. If Postel, as I said, kept it at distance, jab and stuff like that, he had major issues. Josh Taylor could do that with the southpaw stance, with the jab and that as well, and then pick his moments to go in the inside and just trade with him and then step out again. Um, the problem I can see with Josh is potentially swelling, maybe getting cut because he's had problems with that in the past and that as well, cuts and major bruising. Just 
probably kind of you know Scottish kind of situation stuff like you know what McGowan happened to him, Ken McGowan happened to him and stuff like that as well. Was we're kind of pasty white boys at the end of the day, but I still favour Taylor. Still fifty fifty fight, I think, but I, I fancy Taylor to win it on points. Um, on the fight itself, it wasn't great, um, but I think in the day Postal just didn't do enough for my. Just for me, this didn't do enough to kind of win the fight. And again, it says he won it on, on, on the back half, but it's a wee bit extra uh, in the first half of the fight. Just just get off the jab a wee bit more. Just stop circulating. Just stop moving about. Stop just trying to kind of look for the perfect shot. Just kind of be more busy. And he's probably the kind of welterweight version, or sorry, light welterweight version of kind of Vladimir, who just like jabbed and held or whatever stuff like that. But just, he just, just didn't let the right hand go. And to me, if you go to become champion, you go to take it for the champion. And it just didn't do that for me. So he's a tough fighter. And I did think Taylor would have, would have stopped to post all actually back in. I'm sure I picked post up to get beat actually off uh, Taylor to get stopped actually, sorry. But in the end, he gave Taylor a hell of a lot of problems, especially the latter half of that fight. And he's obviously kind of like a fighter who needs time to kind of think about his opponent and just kind of pick it up on the on, on the back half, but um, just on the Taylor Ramirez fight, it's going to be a hell of a war. Bob Arms talking about potentially getting this fight on for I think was it in about October time. Um, or uh, Taylor Ramirez. Ah, he's hoping to get it on for September. That's, that's too early, surely you would have thought. No, he's he's talking about getting it in for um. My second year. When did he say it was? I just put up the article there on boxing scene. He's a uh, we're moving. A lot of big fights to regular ESPN. I expect we'll have three or four big fights on ESPN this year, including Lomachenko-Lopez, possibly Crawford fight, and possibly Berchelt Valdez and Ramirez-Taylor. Um, so either talking about... Um, let's see here. Crawford, November... Because Ramirez is just off the back of fighting Postal last night. Taylor's got ah, sorry, song, I, isn't he? That's right. So maybe I back end of the year, possibly. I forgot mm-hmm. Taylor's thought of fighting that as well. Again, as I say, I, I don't know if Ramirez was, uh, shall we say, maybe, uh, again, I don't think he was active enough. I think maybe, maybe the layoff maybe kind of hurt him. It'll be interesting to see Taylor as well, because Taylor's huge for the weight. He's looked gone at the weight trying to make it as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he looks at the weigh in against the tie fella, because um, we've mentioned in the past, I th- he's, he's potentially on borrowed time at 140. And maybe it's his lifestyle and stuff like that as well, mm. maybe. Um, we'll wait and see, but for what I've what I've heard and what I've been watching at least, he's been trying to kind of keep ticking over and that. He's not been training with uh, Ben Davison. He's been working with his guys up in Scotland up at all the uh, lock and gym and that as well. For, uh, for what I've been hearing, so um, we'll wait and see what happens. But I I suspect I know nothing about the tie fighter he's fighting and stuff. But his record shit, Andy man, really it? really bad. <laughs> so well, well, you got to expect Taylor to come in and stop him then if it's that bad. I, I know it's quite inflated and that for what I've been hearing that as well. So Taylor comes out, does the business. Hopefully, there's no swellings or any cuts and stuff like that, uh, and we get right on this fight because uh, everybody wants to see it. And gutted because before COVID and stuff like that, this was the one fight. I was wanting to go and travel over the course of the next 18 months. And if it happens this year, I'm not going to get to it. And I'm going to be gutted because I really wanted to go and see it. As I say, it's a total unification fight. It was just one we wanted to go and see today, but nah. 
Absolutely, Andy would have liked to have got on board with that. You're listening to episode 388 of the Boxing Asylum Notice podcast. Andy's there with us. So, Smiddo coming to him shortly on an AJ Fury question. Gabe's with us as well. Rapping Rob Kelly will bring him in as well on the weekend's action. Before we do so, quick shout out to a few more of the Patreon boys, starting with Thomas Byrne, who's with us, Emmett O'Keefe, Zeconomics, James Monaghan, Marty G, Marco Barrera, and James Addy, Joe Ringer. Uh, doing the old wedding singing, go and hit up Joe, Marvellous Mendo, Nathan Shaw, John Kearns, friend of the pod, Don McNamara, Craig Jevons, George Barry, Jeff Conway and Graham Taylor, not the former England manager. Good for a question or two, though, over on our Patreon Facebook group. Belly of the Week's coming up later. Just before we do that, what was I going to do? Rob, we'll bring you in, shall we? Bit of Eris Landy Lara, raise you a bit of Jose Ramirez, raise you, probably lower you, a bit of Daniel Dubois, Ricardo Schneiders, the floor is yours. Holy shit, yeah, I saw the Dubois the, the Schneider, was it Wesley Schneider that used to fucking play football, he was fighting, <laughs> no, in a cross-promotion. I've not kept his nickname, his nickname better be Sniper, I mean, like, I'm not kept. The Sniper Schneider, yeah man, come on, like, I, got, <laughs> I mean, like, I know it's late replacements, like, I understand it's late replacements and there was a CT scan issue and you can't take risks like that with a puncher like Daniel Dubois, I totally get it. But there's surely a better heavyweight. I could probably find him a better heavyweight in Wexford tonight. I was just down at the chipper about 20 minutes ago. I'm sure I could have seen someone who would give him more work than fucking Wesley Schneider or whoever the fuck he is. Absolute poison as an opponent. One As, uh, what you call it, the old um, John Fiore saying where he's looking for the deck before he hits it. Like, I think he was wanting to cave before one of those body shots. Like, he was like, is it time, now is the time to go? No, now is the time to go. Just purely hanging in there. Gives Daniel the one, nothing but activity. Puts him, and he didn't even give him kind of one of the knockouts that would bring the casuals in. It was just kind of an accumulation and a beatdown. He didn't have one of those stunning one-punch knockout, um, highlight reel knockouts that's going to kind of generate interest either. It was just a, a non-event. Important for Dubois to get some activity, to get some rounds in, I guess, and stay sharp. I think he's a fighter that would do be- better the more active he is. Um, but we learn, and like... You know, don't get me wrong, I'm very high on Frank Warren at the moment. I think he's playing an absolute blinder the last couple of weeks. He's almost like the anti-Ed, even Ed. Um, he's almost like the anti-Ed at the moment, Like, but that's you're not getting off the hook for serving that up. There has to be a better heavyweight available to test Daniel Dubois ahead of a big fight against Joe Joyce than that fucking guy. That was absolutely shocking. Um, What was the crack with Charlie? Was it Charlie Edwards that had the hair? Yeah. What was the crack with him, man? He's like one of the fucking woodland pixies or something. What the fuck was that about? Like, that was, that, I thought somebody was going to put a fucking spell on someone from an enchanted forest or something. I didn't know what the fuck was going on with that. Like, enough, the least said about that, the better. Um, Lara, you know what going to do? in the hallway, by the way. <laughs> oh, Absolutely fucking. Did he lose a bet or something? Like, was that something, or did he just say... I need a new look. Like, sit me no, down. Twitter, apparently, apparently, I asked people on Twitter how you should look for the. Like, I'm sure that's what you say, at least. I don't think him and the brother are going down a strange way. path. The brother looks like he's transitioning sometimes, and he's going out with little pigtails. I don't know what's going on with them pair up. <laughs> I don't know. They were like, okay, they keep well, if they keep turning up with them fucking head, um, them haircuts, they're going to look like the Riddlers. You'd have to stick them on a badge and roll them down the fucking Thames. Um, <laughs> um, the Lara, you know what you're getting. No excuses if you if you commit to watching the Lara fight, you already know what you're getting beforehand. So, um, you know I'm forever a Cubano, um, a Cubano, a Cubano file or whatever they call them. Um, could be worse fighters, I suppose. 
and um, <laughs> then Ramirez and uh, Postel. I said last week, man, Postel tough night for anyone one forty. You hear me? Yeah, or no? Yeah, Ray go ahead. Pop. Yeah, we're just saying about Ray Pop there talking yeah, of no. foils. <laughs> see Bella a different see, type of top out for, for anybody see Bella's been certified 18 by the way <laughs> <laughs> he's the first one on the fucking subscription was he right in the, fucking, <laughs> the two million overnight was him um, what was I going to say no I'm Ramirez Apostle man Apostle something about one of those guys with range at 140 that can punching straight lines is going to give anybody trouble and I know he's simple and I know it looks basic but if you can master those two straight shots man off the jab and straight down the middle you're going to give anyone trouble and Ramirez prefers it on the inside and Postel was keeping him out did he do enough to win wouldn't have been altogether disappointed if he'd have got it I know Ramirez is the champion of course and there is some you know I, I agree with it what Andy's saying about you have to take it from the champ I've always said that so I don't want to go back on it like you do have to, to rip the title from the champion, but Postal, I think that's probably last last we'll see of him now, maybe challenging. I don't know what the landscape is really like at 140 at the moment. I don't think it's full of killers or anything. He might make another appearance, but technically um, and style-wise, not the not the most exciting guy, but from a, from a technical perspective, he's fucking, he's very, very good, man. That jab, straight right. Sometimes with those guys, those well with the straight punch, they get too overcommitted to straight punches and they don't vary it up enough. And I think that's one of his problems. Like everything is just pure technique, back on the jab, straight right down the middle. And he doesn't really kind of, doesn't do enough fainting. He doesn't set enough traps maybe, but that's a minor criticism. A good, a good performance from Postal probably on another night could have won it. But um, Postal versus Taylor, nobody wants to see that because we've already seen it. So I guess we get to see... The, the high train matches on or rides on rather for, towards um, Josh Taylor versus Ramirez interesting to see what Taylor's going to be like out of the lockdown as well um, he's going to be get, he's getting the Bob Arum treatment isn't he so he's just signed with Bob which means he's definitely not going to be in a big fight for the first one he probably won't be in a big fight for the second one either <laughs> and maybe three or four fights down the line we'll see Josh Taylor in a big fight again so um, just listen to what Andy was saying like as well about him his days being numbered at 140 I've thought that about him for a little while like He's, he's wide, isn't he, for, for a 140? Like, he looks like he can easily fight a 47. Like. He's massive. Listen, uh, well, I, I, I ain't no fighter, right? But I got told once, if I was going to take it seriously, I would be a light middleweight, and I'm 5'10". Josh uh, Taylor is taller than me, and he's fucking 140. Yeah, no, he's big at the weight. Like, definitely, definitely could be campaigning for it. He'll probably end up at 54 if he stays around. Um... But yeah, I I I mix. I think Taylor walks through Ramirez, and he'll just be too too big, too strong, and I think he he'll walk him down. Um, he might even stop him. But it's a good fight. I want to see it. It's I'm kind of over these fights of fellas coming off lockdown now. But the sooner the better we get them back out and see what they're like. Um, with two or three training camps in a row. Um, so I hope that's a, a fair enough synopsis of the weekend's action because that's about all I've seen to be honest with you. Okay, let's move on. We'll pick up the pace then, going towards oh, moving towards 10 o'clock. We'll be coming to you on Tim's U Horn very shortly, Andy, just before we do so. I'm going to mention the shows for next week, but I'm not going to dwell on any of them, just so we've given them lip service. This is Aussie's territory, really, but he's not able to make it on tonight. Wednesday, the 2nd of September, Philip Bowes against Aki Menis Brown. Good fight, this. Commonwealth super lightweight title, vacant British title on the line as well. Dan Aziz against Andre Sterling. That's a good fight, too. I'm looking forward to that show. I'm going to watch that. Uh, Podrick McCrory. 
A friend of mine going in against Mickey Ellison. Good luck to him. Harlem Eubank against Martin McDonough. Might be interesting. Might be shit. Who knows? Uh, over in Saturday, the 5th of September, in the production studios, the same ones that the MTK show is taking part in, I believe. Samir Ziani brings his EU, uh, EBU, European title, over to... Yeah, South Kirk B against Alec Dilmagani, former friend of the pod. Ricky Little's on that as well. Stephen McKenna and Idris Virgo. Also, the final one I've got here in the bubble, Saturday the 5th of September, is Jamel Herring against Jonathan Aquendo, WBO, super featherweight title. Saw Emmanuel Navarrete, they're lining him up against somebody at featherweight as well. He's fighting against someone called Ruben Veer. Interestingly enough, they mentioned on the, the big screen in the background behind Postal that Jesse Magdaleno had turned the fight down. So I think they're justifying the shit opponent for Navarrete while also hey. visibly calling out Magdaleno saying, yeah. you turn this fight down. We're putting it on our big screen. Not just that, mate. They actually, they actually, quote, they actually went into his fucking pocket and counted the fucking money he was turning down. They actually fucking quoted the cash. I'm like, whoa, there's something fucking... Look, if you got to go to a fighter, by the way, and start then mentioning what he's getting or was offered... And then what he's actually going to be earning, there's fucking problems in the background there. Like they're like trying to cash him right the fuck out the window. And Nathan says Ruben Veer is talented. I'll take your word for it. I could be completely wrong. I assume they were bringing in a soft touch given the fact they were shitting on Magdalena. Ruben Veer could be a good fighter. So fair play to them if he, if he is, Nathan. Uh, just before we come to you, Andy, on Brazil and, and Sue, quickly from you, Smido, question flying in from Ryan Deal. He says, is anyone not a fan of this AJ and Fury to fight their mandatories nonsense? AJ over Pulev is no dead cert and he's going to be an ugly one. Nobody picking a Wilder KO in the third fight. If he holds his feet and throws against a front foot Fury, you get a completely different fight from the first two. He's still the biggest puncher in the division by far. Should just make the fight. In other words, Fury versus Wilder 3. What do you think about that, Smith? Well, I mean, you said and done saying you should just make the fight. I mean, the Wilder fight's contracted. And, you know, I mean, Pulev probably would step aside. But, you know, he's been knocking around as a mandatory for a while. But on the whole, I disagree with what said to to be honest, um, I think Joshua um, sees off Pulev easily, um, and I think that uh, Wilder is a, is is and will be a broken fighter, and and Fury will do the do the same again. I mean, it was so utterly dominant from from Fury against Wilder, a brilliant performance, an absolutely superb performance, one of the best by a British by a British fighter on foreign soil for years. Um, Wilder's been very quiet in terms of, um, you know, stuff out there, bring it on. I mean, has he even confirmed he's taking the rematch? I don't know. I mean, I don't play too much close attention. But, yeah, I think Fury will just do it again. It's contracted. They're both going to get paid a chunk of money. Um, it, the, the the second fight was that was that dominant. The, the, the intrigue for a third fight between them, you know, people will still tune in, but it certainly won't be as many tuning in as fight number two, I would say. That's how that's how one side of it was. I thought he, he just absolutely battered him, and I don't see any reason why why he can't do that again. Um, Fury. So so yeah, this uh, notion about them going straight for the Joshua fight, I just can't see happening. I mean, it's boring, man. It's boring. We got bored of of uh, the Wilder and Joshua so-called negotiations, and I think we're soon going to get bored of the the Fury and Joshua because you know we've got them two standing on one side and. Fast car and, and Joshua standing on the other. I just think we're going to get bored of it. And and you know what? The most likely outcome is, as always, disappointment for the fans because it will probably not happen. Um, and that's the that you know we mention it virtually every week. That's the, 
problem with the sport whereby the it, it probably is the biggest fight in, in world boxing. It's certainly the biggest fight in British boxing probably this century. Um, and um, and yeah, we all think in our heart of hearts that it probably won't happen. In- you're, you reckon this is a power play, Smith, by Bob Arum after the Povetkin win over Dillian White that he's panicking at this fight? fucking <laughs> won't be worth as much if Pulev was able to go out and stretch AJ rematch clause and it pushes it pushes it back so the, do you think he's panicking and say look fucking we get the belt back uh no no i don't i don't think let's get these two aj fight yeah i don't think i mean uh, i mean we can see we can see um you know, uh, chances versus AJ, I would rate a lot lower than Beckins' chances versus White, and that ain't being clever after the result. I mean, the people on this podcast who pick, who've confidently picked Povetkin to beat White, um, I can't see Pulev do, causing is- any issues whatsoever for Joshua, to be honest. Um, so yeah, they'll both plod through that. I mean, have we even got a date for for Fury and Wilder three? I don't think so. Um, no, and that's no. and you know, without sounding like the, the the man from Essex, that is one of those fights, as is Joshua, which is going to be difficult to put on with, without the gate revenue, particularly in Vegas. Um, you know, I don't want to sound like an account, a boxing accountant, but that, that's that's true. So, you know, the only way I can see it happening is if, um, you know, if, if Wilder does find an injury or lack appetite or retire or whatever, um, Pulev takes a few quid to fuck off for a bit, for another six months. And it happens, look, if... The sooner they can sign um, Joshua versus Fury, the better for me. It's an absolutely humongous fight. The interest would be through the roof in this country and and in other parts of the world. The sooner that happens, the better. I'll be I'll be a massive advocate of that happening. But you know, the the, the seeds are there. They're not being actively planted, but you know, they're, they're already popping. They're already seeing evidence that it's going to be you know difficult, long, protracted, boring. Just make the damn fights, says Smido on this Sunday evening. <clears throat> uh, Gabe, quick one from you before we go down under with Andy on uh, Tony Luis. Uh, you knocked him out previously on a podcast. He went points with Barboza. What was, what was your feelings? Well, I'm sure all the fans uh, of the show have wanted to know what my thoughts were on Tony. And uh, I'm glad you asked, Steve, because if you recall, some number of years ago when Tony was last on the show, I asked Tony specifically about his lack of power. At that point in time, uh, he had demonstrated very uh, little power to that point in his career, not guys out, severely hurt guys. He's always been more of a, uh, not a broke man's Tony, uh, poor man's Tony Margarito, a flat broke man's Tony Margarito. He tries to come forward. He tries to fight like he's a power guy, and he's not. And I asked him, I said, what do you think about that style, using that consistently over the course of your career? And uh, and he got pissed off. He got really angry. He, he uh, did not like the question. And uh, as it turns out, we saw last night that my thoughts were pretty accurate on Tony. Uh, I'm sure he's right back at home in Canada, crying like a little bitch right now because he lost a fight, wasn't competitive, <laughs> and he got whipped around the ring. Uh, and he had a few good punches. He landed some good punches. Uh, but again, we saw the lack of power be demonstrated. And uh, what you saw there was he couldn't hurt uh, his opponents. So uh, all those years ago, 
what I saw in the initial few fights that I'd seen of Tony, because I did my goddamn research like a good podcaster would do. I watched as much of Tony as I could find on tape before he came on the show. And uh, it seems like Tony was really angry whenever I told the truth. But it revealed itself yet again. He's a come forward kind of guy who doesn't necessarily have the power nor the technical ability. If we observed last night to do what he tried to do, um, <laughs> the whole thing's a bit of a fucking joke. Uh, I, look, I really have nothing to get Tony. He did get mad whenever we mentioned it. I, I feel like I should say he, he wasn't competitive. It wasn't a fun fight. He didn't do much of anything at all to speak of. But uh, fair play, respect to Tony. He's out there, one living the life, trying to do the work. And uh, despite me fucking having fun at his expense, he, he certainly has done more in the sport than I've accomplished. Uh, sitting down watching it all these years, uh, but but yeah, I just wanted to give the fans an update on that. So anyone that saw, you know, some of the tweets that we put out, or he, here's the jokes constantly doesn't necessarily know the story. That's what it was. Gabe sticking it to Tony Luis there, safe in the knowledge that Tony's in Canada and Gabe's in Texas, plus safe in the knowledge of the fact that if Tony ever got hold of him, the chances of any damage being done <laughs> with his with his 18% KO ratio is pretty damn low. Andy, talking of KO ratios, Tim Zhu got the win down under in Australia. I was starting to feel a bit sorry for Jeff Horn. I think he looks Ooh. in an absolute shit. He looks terrible. He could barely stand up. He looks like Tommy Allen after about flipping six months mm -hmm. on heroin. I mean, what are we going to do with this fella? He's going to have to retire, isn't he, surely? I mean, I assume he worked pretty well. Six months of heroin wouldn't kill Tommy Allen, by the way. Anthrax wouldn't kill him, man. Uh, I don't think you your phone to hand, but you can get up Glenn Russian right now. But um, I, I, I didn't want to go overboard. I, I know what you said. You know, you're very high on Tim Zoo. Um, I went actually and watched some uh, some of his content and stuff. Uh, loved the right hand uh, before the fight, and uh, that's what he softened up Jeff Horn with the right hand. Uh, to be honest, I I never want to see Jeff Horn again. I want to see him retired. He's absolutely awful to fucking watch. Uh, Tim Zoo, just no for the going out of hand and stuff because I know Jeff Horn's limited and stuff. Crawford handled him beautifully, destroyed him basically, actually. But that's what Tim Zoo did. He was never flustered. This is what I loved. He's what, what early 20s. He's got all this hype behind him, but he's trying not to buy it. He's saying he's not the son. He's his man. He's, he's, he's trying to be his own man. He's, his dad's nowhere to be seen in the corner. Yeah, he kept saying that, didn't he? At the end, he yeah. made a point of saying, oh, I'm Tim Zoo. I'm Tim. Uh, and you knew what he was getting at. Yeah, as I say, but the old man, I've never seen, we all watched it live, I've never seen the cameras on his old man, no, I didn't know if I he didn't, was even no. there, uh, but she's obviously maybe even more than him, listen, I'm an old man, and he's looking, he's looking the business, because he took took him, took him apart, right hands, and then he brought the left hand into play, left hooks and stuff, just starting hammering at the body, that corner work, Glenn Russian man, absolute disgraceful. Belly the week worthy. Um, it's strange too, Andy, because I've been quite vocal. Of, I, I like Glenn Rush. I think he's yeah, a good yeah. trainer. I don't rate him at all. No, off that, I mean, I used to. J Jeff Horn, listen, you see it afterwards. He's always had this punch to turn a fight. I have never seen that in Jeff Horn. Not no, once I have agree. I seen him throw a punch that's going to turn a fight, lights out, fucking sparkled. Never seen it in my lifetime. Obviously, obviously, never saw the Anthony Mundine fight. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, come on. But Mandeep was a decent fighter at his, at, at his peak, you know what I mean? Come on. Jeff Horn's washed. 
He's washed. He's, he was like, I think you could have you could have pulled him out, mate, and within four or five rounds. I kid you not. He allowed him to go to like the death, and you're asking him. You're asking a fighter who, by the way, he's done he's done fantastic because I do not rate that guy. So what does that tell you about Jeff Horn? What he's achieved in his career, where you got that fucking prick in your corner advising you and telling you if you got one more punch, no, I've not got it, mate. But I'm looking in your fucking face. I'm telling you, you're a cunt. Please pull me out because I'm not going to tell you I'm not going to fucking pull out this fight. I'm going to mm-hmm. keep fighting. But he's not going to fucking do it. He's not going to fucking pull it. So you could be the man. You could be the guy in the fucking corner, another guy in the corner telling him, just say, look, mate, you're done. That's it. Done and dusted. And I don't know who he was. Glenn Rushton is a fucking embarrassment to boxing. And trainers should be fucking saying to him, and Jeff Fennick is correct. He is an absolute disgrace. He should have been pulled out far fucking far earlier. There was no reason for him to get fucking. Taking that far because he could maybe have one more fight. No, yeah, sorry, man. Thing is, he's he was he not training TJ Donny as well? I think mm-hmm. he, was, he might have been, wasn't he? Yeah, so he's had like two world champions, so maybe his ego is like super inflated now. I think that the two fights, I think the Pacquiao fight and the Bud Crawford fight, wrecked Jeff Horn. Um, if he got his hand raised in the Pacquiao one or not, I think he took. A lot of punishment. I think he took more punishment against Bud Crawford, and those kind of fights that I don't think are the same after. And then he pissing about at the weight. He's gone up to middleweight to fight Mundine, and then I had another fight at middleweight, and then back down to light middleweight to fight a fella on the up, Tim Zulek. Like, um, it doesn't look good. Like and, it, and you gotta pull the guy. Like, you know, we don't want to see anyone hurt. We know when it's time. Us more than anyone. Know when it's time after all the fights we've seen. You see. Just pull him out, man. What are you do- What are you doing? Like, why? Why? Like, it's Tim Zoo for one. It's it's a fringe title, even, isn't it? It's not like a fucking. Like, what are you doing with the guy? Like, he's had, you know, unfortunately, Jeff Jeff Horn's had his moments, right? He's overachieved in the sport. He beat Manny Pacquiao, contentious decision. I thought he did well in the fight, but that was his apex, like. And since then, things haven't. He hasn't looked good. Like, he got a bad beating off Crawford, and he looked. Like he looked like a, a a fat lump of shit up at 160, and then obviously, then he's gone down. He's gone back down the way. We don't know if that's taken something out of him because he's had two fights at 160 over the last two years, by the way. So he hasn't been near Life 147. Was there Zarafa as well? Uh, Life and death him. Two fights. Life, we yeah, lost to him in the one, didn't we? Yeah, he's lost, right. one, lost to Zarafa exactly. So you know what I mean? It's it's the it's fucking sad, stopped. Like, uh, should have pulled him out. Like should have pulled him out. But Tim Zhu, I think he does look good. I although. That's kind of put me off him a little bit the way he's come out and said Tim Zoo already wants to be his own man, but he surely realizes like when you fucking have the same haircut as your old lad and everything, and your name's Zoo, that everybody's interested in you because he looks the spit of him, doesn't he? It's part of the it's part of the it's part of the fucking appeal. It helps Chavez's career. It's going to help your career. It's helped Eubanks' career. It's helped uh, Conor Ben's career. Do you know what I mean? So it is. It's part of the thing. If you're the son of a legend. You're gonna get. You're gonna be judged at a different standard now. I know he wants to come out and and do it in his own right. And I think he probably will. I I think he's he's very good. Like um, not that you can judge him off of fucking beating Jeff Horn like a punch bag, but I think he is. He is pretty good. He's got signs of air, eh? power. Yeah, he's got good power in that as well. Like so. He burst for flustered. Like he was composed a, as well, man. I, I, I just like give I'm him not... Lara now. Yeah, well, I was going to say. See how he feels with Lara well, now. The, the the other thing is this, mate, is. To me, Jeff Horn could have made that an ugly fight for the you know the entire fucking fight. He remained, he just 
the composure, even when it got rugged in there and he was trying to cover up on the inside, he's bringing the glove up, he's covering up and stuff like that, he's coming back the right hand, he's hooking the body. I just, to me, it was a bit of maturity for him, by the way. I guess a guy who is a known spoiler, can make it ugly, can rough it up, maybe potentially cut you. He's just, he was, he looked like a full yeah, perfect man game, in there. Yeah. He, he just looked yeah. like, okay, and I, I'm trying not to go overboard by saying like Jeff Horn's this fucking great fighter, but his style can make it ugly for anybody. And to look how he looked, composed, never ruffled, absolute calm, and just destroy the guy like that, I'm saying to myself, yeah. But then I've got some Aussie guys in that on Twitter saying, look, you know, Next logical fight for him is, is now Zarafa. No, no, no. Zarafa gets absolutely executed. The first opportunity to get for him to get to America, take it because I think he's he's knocking on the door. I'm not going to say he's going to beat anybody at the top five at a minute, but he's he's definitely he's one to watch. Absolutely, absolutely. Andy, I've got the clip that you sent me just before I play it. I'm going to mention a couple of things. I am high on Tim Sue, but with the caveat mm-hmm. that I know there is a factor here that I'm sort of yeah. vicariously running his dad's career back because I was such a big Costas U fan. I see so many similarities, not least as Rob mentioned the haircut. I mean, he looks the absolute spit of a young Costas U. So there is an element of that. And Horn was absolutely shot to shit. So I think yeah. it's pretty hard until you see someone who brings a bit of nuance. You know, you've got a lot of guys like Horn, like Jack Brewbreaker, straight in your face, stereotypical tough Aussies. Someone who brings a bit of nuance, a bit of speed, maybe a Southpaw, whatever. We'll see I'll what team. Yeah. Well, I mean, could, yeah, could be worse. Yeah. Maybe Castaño, somebody like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've all been saying that 154 is a division that's just bitching to be. This is just someone to take over because it's just like that. That Rosario knockout was just incredible. I mean, it just it shook up the whole division. You know, Harrison beating Charlo at the time. You're like, yeah. I mean, we needed that. And then Charlo comes back, looking fat. You got Lubin back in the mix. You got Marjum off with that knockout, well, fuck that referee at the end of the day, but, <laughs> you know, fuck me, you got Kalkai getting gifts, you got, as I say, I, I, I'm big on Abbas Barrio, fuck Kilbrook as well, man, but as I say, it's, it's a division, it's just, it's there's fights to be made there, and it's really interesting, I'm really looking forward to it, and Tim Zoo, it says the, the Aussies are going to be backing this kid now massively, but, yeah, I'm, I'm Steve, I know you were hyped back in the day, and I, I'm starting to get on, on your train now, mate, because, mm-hmm. uh, to me, as I say, he's not great, Jeff Horn, but it's just the way he done it. It was, it was emphatic. And just as I play this, then the other thing I was going to mention was um, I, on the way up in Horn's career, I was a fan of Glenn Rushton, the trainer, and especially in the Pacquiao fight, I thought he was really good in the Pacquiao fight. He managed him through the 12 rounds, and I thought Horn definitely won the fight. It was close, but I thought Rushton was excellent. But I was starting to have doubts about him after that business with Crawford, with the shoes and all that. And he was a bit of a disgrace in this fight, so I will say that. But early on, I was a big fan of Glenn Rushton. I thought he was an old-school trainer. Maybe things have gone to his head anyway. Let's play this, Andy, that you sent me in. Hear what the crack is. A stroll down the Townsville waterfront is all the celebration Tim Zoo needs. His victory over Jeff Horn is just a stepping stone. Monday I'll, I'll get back into it and I'll become obsessive again and strive on to, to bigger and better things. The got to climb the mountain. Zoo number two lived up to his famous name, putting in a performance reminiscent of his father's 10 years at the top. But he wants to forge his own path. I just want to let everyone know that my name's Tim, not the son. The 25-year-old totally dominated Horn, knocking him down twice before the referee stopped the fight after the eighth round. I felt in control the whole fight. Uh, nothing phased me. Um, 
walk through his through his punches, through his power. Horn's boxing future is now under a huge cloud. The former world champion will take some time to think. I've got to think, have I got more left in the tank or, or is that it? So um, that's what I've got to do. I've got to just do some soul searching. Horn's right-hand man seems to believe the boxer's best is behind him. He's now got two um, young children and... You know, his, his priorities have changed, you know, and unfortunately the hunger's not there. Glenn Rushton has copped heavy criticism for not throwing in the towel earlier. The veteran trainer stands by his methods. Was Jeff badly hurt? No. Uh, yeah, was he excessively fatigued? No. Jake Duke, Nine News. Andy, I think the biggest thing to come out of that post-fight interview was what was, what was going on with Horn. It sounded like he was having gender reconstruction <laughs> surgery or something. It sounded like fury, eh? <laughs> yeah, the mark is back, baby. You know, it sounded like he'd be smoking 45, isn't it? Obviously, Tim Moss got caught him in the throat somewhere, but just, just go back to Russian, man. That absolute disgrace. He says, like, you know, the hunger's no there. Well, why put him in the fucking fight if he had hunger's no there? You know, you've been, you've, been on your own. you've been in the fucking camp with your own fighter for the last, what, eight weeks, ten weeks? And then to say that he wasn't hurt, Fuck you, man. He got absolutely annihilated. I mean, look, I've seen guys guys respected actually saying he could have been pulled out within three to four rounds. And you let him get to what was it, a ten rounder? Get to he goes top in the ninth or tenth round or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. He got absolutely lit up, annihilated, he got hit to the body, brutalized. Brutalized, man. You see, like, oh he's got he's got kids and he's got priorities. Of course his priorities have changed. Once you have a kid, your priorities of life have changed. You're not willing to take the same risks. You've not got the same fucking attitude in you know, the front of life anymore. Once you've got kids in your fucking life and stuff like that, it's a whole different situation. You're not going to put your life on the line like that. But for you to say that your fighter wasn't hurt, and then to ask him to say, have you got one big punch in you? Of course he hasn't got a big punch. And then to say at the same time, oh, we've seen him do it before, he has never done it in his career. So you put his life on the line when he was getting absolutely fucked up. And by the way, see when this fight was initially touted, the big argument was it was going to go be a 10 or a 12 rounder. This is why well, didn't go to working 12 because you know you just saved the guy an extra six minutes of fucking punishment because you knew he was never going to get pulled out. You knew he was never going to he was never going to quit unless he got absolutely sparkled or the referee called fucking mercy. But your fucking man who was called in at the last minute to work the corner did the big thing. The only thing is to be fucking pulling out. Disgraceful. Rushing you're a wanker. And you spoke in episode 388. Gabe's left us. Rob's here still with me, Andy, and Adam Smido-Smith. Going on to Belly of the Week shortly. Just before we do, final shout out to the Patreon boys. Then a few comments that have come in over the week on White Povetkin. Shout out to Daniel Adams. Was in touch during the week. Good to hear from you, Jason Cheel, proper boxing man. Ryan, the real deal deal. John Swan, Jasper Owen Spillane, Nathan Newman, David Doyle, Gav, James Bernard, Danny Young, Ted Barrett, Joe Kennedy in the chat there, Martin Swaggy Taggy, and Steve Turton, who's running his own podcast as well. A few comments have come in. Nobody has to comment on these. Toby Hines uh, was talking Pavetkin White. Thought for the pod. Eddie Hearn just spent weeks justifying the pay-per-view by saying it was a 50-50. If that's the case, why are Sky so shocked that White lost? Ben Thorne's also sent in a message post-fight. Just listening back, Steve, had to tell somebody this. White drew with Parker unofficially as they scored White a knockdown earlier. That was a slip. With replays, that was a draw. I remember vividly 
of, as I had money on the draw. And the final one was someone said, how do you know when somebody knows fuck all about boxing when they tell you that Povetkin won with a lucky punch? This is something I raised to Troy Williamson earlier. And uh, Denzel Bentley, I sold all poor Johnny Nelson out to dry, didn't I? Anyway, the bullshit I have heard since that KO, one of the most sublime pieces of heavyweight boxing I have seen. That lucky punch was 30 years of training in the making. Johnny Nelson. Honest to fucking Christ. Johnny Nelson. It's a lucky... You see that again this week? A lucky punch. Mate, you asked the question, you just didn't get lucky with shots. Like, look, at this level, if you're like the top 10 in the world, you didn't love lucky punches. You fucking throw any punches every day. Absolutely. 30 years in the making from Povetkin. Episode 388. Let's go on to the belly of the weeks then, shall we? Hopefully the boys will stick around. First nomination comes in. For Matthew Macklin having a bit of a nightmare, running a burner account, tweeting himself from himself to himself, liking and retweeting himself. Matthew has a couple of accounts on the go by the looks of it, I think. Good luck to him. Why doesn't everybody have that? What about this then, Smido, from Sporting Icons? I've heard a lot from Porky about Sporting Icons. Never partaken in one of his shows myself, but he tweeted out last week. I was thinking about this earlier. At Dillian White has had 36 fights, amateur and pro combined. Fought AJ twice, Chisora twice, Parker, Povetkin, Rivas, Hellenius, undefeated Brown, WBC interim and silver champ, British champ, WBC number one. The trolls can fuck the fuck clean off, says Sporting Icons. He's inexperienced, Smido, is Dillian White. Yeah, yeah, right, though. He's, in a, he's only inexperienced at world title level because he keeps turning them down. Fucking prick. <sighs> Good old Dillian. A nomination for sporting icons there. De Casual still got Belly of the Week award, says Ben Thorns. He's nominated Akeem Iljazi. Uh, Fury as number one in the heavyweight division is laughable. Even White has fought more fighters in the top ten than Fury has. AJ, for me, is number one, says Akeem. Yep, the Casuals can get nominated if that's the standard. What about this, Andy? Talking of standards, the main man himself, AB, Adrian Broner, oh, is sentenced to seven days in jail. After a violation of his parole, a real waste of boxing talent, Ross Phillips has nominated him, Andy. Yep, absolutely. Um, well deserved, actually. I do think they're taking fucking liberties with his, uh, his picture in the courtroom, but I think somebody's added that wee extra bit on the belly, actually. Although I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh, went full fatto because, you know, I fully AB and stuff like that. Um, he was taking it seriously for a bit again there. He was going to make 135 again. <laughs> Yeah, 135. <laughs> 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 one AB level fighter going to make 135 again? Jesus Christ, mate. You know, he might make it again if he goes to prison and get that prison food with all the maggots and stuff like that within the food. AB's got kids that can't make 135. <laughs> 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 uh, in his corner, certainly can't make 135, Rob. I wouldn't have thought uh, anyway. Dearie me. <laughs> Wouldn't you think you'd get uh, all that on a diet? Like, wouldn't you? If you'd anyway, fucking no. <laughs> oh dear, good old AB. Uh, Celtic Spirit has one to throw in. Put it in there, and we'll call it out. Uh, Hamid uh, coming up with a bit of libel on a Sunday evening. Not going to read that one out, Hamid. I don't think. Talking to libel. What about the back? It's in there. What about the bell? Uh, the back and forward between Dillian White and old Frank Warren, or whoever's yes. running his account. Declan Graffin has nominated this. Uh, probably nominated already, but if not, Dillian White, fucking fish eyes snake. He was calling Frank, <laughs> and then going into company's house to try and Blocked call out poor old Frank. Then blocked him, and then Frank came back with something else, and then obviously then Dylan or Eddie, even Ed, maybe unblocked the account. 
and responded to it. And then Eddie puts out that wee beam. He goes, yes! You know, you know that wee kind of a noncy way he goes about with the fucking beard and the fucking <laughs> spectacles on and stuff, the shades, the Ray-Bans, even Ed. <laughs> Frank is just, just basking in the glory this week. Oh, he's just he's it to like He's, bathing, he's basking in it. He's yeah, actually giving like three or four interviews. It was, a, it was uh, only like a year ago that Frank was flirting with Dylan White, saying, oh, you can come to me if you want. Fucking Eddie Epstein. Absolutely. Absolutely. But he said, he, he, I, obviously Frank is listening to the, to the pod. And uh, Frank. And good mate Tyson Fury, because he said, uh, he said, where did you find Barry? He said in one of the second third interviews, he goes, oh, where's Barry come from? Where did you find him in the cupboard? Was there a couple of pack, packets of cans of Stella on the ground? Like, where did you get him out of? Like, absolutely. <laughs> Kane in the other side this week, all week. Rob, what was that be rap he gave us at the that oh, tuna gave Ain't us, no uh, mandatory anymore, wasn't it? Ain't no, no mandatory anymore. anymore. Yeah, he had sang it, no sunshine. Don't and he sang it all serious, didn't he? I actually, watched, I actually watched it. I don't usually watch them, but I, I, I tell you what, Frank was actually spot on about a few things. He made me laugh when he said, they're crying about a thousand days mandatory. We got Tyson Fury off the couch and fighting for the WBC yeah. within six months. Listen, at the same time, can we give uh, <laughs> Alex Morris a shout out for that tweet he gave out about Eddie and that, about Frank being better than Eddie. <laughs> Fucking Alex actually yeah, that was screen brilliant, sh- Alex, yeah. screen, screenshot of Eddie saying, about, uh, understand the OGs, you know, they're bitter at this point. You know, I'm getting there. I'm not there cause quite yet, but yeah, I'm a wee bit bitter on that. Yeah, fucking twisted bastard. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Uh, boys in the chat throwing a few here. Reverend Pickles says, belly of the week for Frank. That fight last night was horrific with Dubois. Uh, I've seen penguins move better than the poor soddy beat up. <laughs> uh, Celtic spirit as well as nominated Porky. These promoters haven't th- grow- thrown a punch in their life. Well, Oscar De La Hoya hasn't done bad, I suppose. I think Porky said that. Well, anyway, he's been nominated by Celtic spirit. What else have we got? Back to the list, I think. Oh, late belly of the week from Trading Leather Boxing. Throw it in, why don't you? Throw it in. Uh, Michael Tamura um, nominated well. The MC here, Andy, from Mohammed Mia for saying it's Tim Horn versus Jeff Horn. The MC done a pretty good job over in Australia, I think. Oh, what about this one? This is a classic one here, Smido, from Gary Young, nominated by British Boxing Blog. Gary Young, uh, at Gary2468 on Twitter, was having a back and forth with somebody. Talking about amateur boxing. Uh, Gregory revealed he was an amateur boxer. But Gary wasn't too impressed about this. He said, a description for an amateur boxer is just someone who tried boxing and aren't very good. I haven't tried boxing, so therefore I might be good enough for the pros, whereas we know you aren't. (laughs) So there you go. An amateur boxer is someone who's tried boxing and isn't very good. So that's a Gary Young Young's description. Uh, Shout out to Johnny Nelson, Lucky Punch, been nominated by Danny Robson. Uh, Colin Simpson nominated Connor Ben, talking shit again. Connor Ben, sorry, said to talk sport, if you hit me, you're getting hit back twice as hard. If you have the audacity to get past my jab, you're entering a wall of hell. He has a good turn of phrase, doesn't he, Connor Ben? Uh, Andy, this is coming in from you. For Oh, this is Jeff Horn's trainer again. We've already elaborated. Nothing else to say about saying he wasn't hurt? Yeah, at this point, he's probably leading it for me. Just absolute amateur hour, actually. And any fighter will actually want to think about turning pro and that. Didn't he go anywhere near Glenn Rushton? Fucking hell. And the other thing as well is, is he's actually, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but he's walking to the ring, front and centre, with Jeff Horn at his side, waving to the crowd. Who the fuck are you? 
Who are you, by the way? You stand aside. You let Jeff Horn have his moment. Let him step front and centre. No, you prick. Nomination for Glenn. Uh, Peter Plodder's nominated Dirty Dog, saying that Alan Babbage reminded him of Marciano. <laughs> More like Rocky Marshmallow. Uh, Bryce has nominated Julian J. Rock Williams uh, for telling a story about equality. It sounded like bullshit to me, to be honest. I haven't screenshotted it. Uh, Clarissa Shields as well. An offence from her, saying that she could feel Savannah Har Marshall's heart beating through her chest whenever they confronted each other. It's a bit of a strange lie. Than what yeah, really? <laughs> she's lying like that but there she is anyway uh, Dominic Henry I thought I heard this on the night but I wasn't sure Andy Dominic confirmed it for me whenever Frank was being interviewed next to Daniel Dubois <laughs> I thought to myself did Frank just call him Anthony and Dominic confirmed that he did apparently Frank yeah. called uh, Dubois Anthony while he was stood right next to him and then Dubois started smiling to himself so a bit of senility uh, creeping in there Andy for Frank no oh, dear <laughs> Oh, I, I, was, I, was, I was wondering about that kind of bump in his head was actually see that I think it seems like that dent he's got like somebody took a spade to him or something like that you know well he's not going to tell you because he ain't no grass someone took something at him I think at some point Even <laughs> <laughs> the Frank Even the Frankie baby <laughs> oh gee <laughs> um, Babs uh, talking about oh Eddie's been nominated from Porky for being a liar Steve Lillis said oh Great. no can I see that Steve? <laughs> I know, I, know. Say I, don't, that. I don't want to have to I don't have to bring this one to you but apparently Eddie's been accused of being a liar here Steve Lillis said great numbers for Frank Warren's BT show headlined by Dynamite Dubois last night a 400,000 peak viewership and 155,000 average makes it the biggest numbers post lockdown by a mile Eddie Hearn jumps in it's all good for boxing. That peak number was at 7 o'clock to 7.05 after the charity shield, but still positive numbers. And Bab said the broadcast didn't start till half seven. So obviously he's trying to troll while he's backfired. <laughs> Love a bit of Eddie. Spreading manure out in the back garden of Brentwood. Uh, Taylor MC has nominated... <laughs> <laughs> belly of the week for Sonny Edwards for the pigtails obviously thanks as well to the shout out on Angulo versus Kirkland just stuck it on there was absolute carnage that was a good fight there uh, Anthony has nominated the Athletic MMA who tweeted out three years ago today Conor McGregor with no boxing experience nearly beat Floyd Mayweather and uh, Smiggers Titties has nominated Sean McDyer Britain now has its Ali Frazier foreman in the form of Fury Joshua and Dubois so, says Sean, uh, Joshua beats Fury on points. Dubois destroys Joshua. Then Fury shocks the world <laughs> by beating the invincible Dubois. You heard it here first. Quite the fantasy oh, there, Smido. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. He's been fucking reeling some fat fucking lanes by the day. <laughs> oh, dear. What can you do with it? Uh, Billy Nelson has been uh, getting stuck in on Twitter as well. He's obsessed with getting Martin Bacoli a fight against anybody, isn't he? Uh, he was tweeting out, uh, Joe Joyce beats a German burger van fire. Daniel beats someone. I've got no words for that. Martin Bacoli's fighting Kuzman. Can we all see the difference? I rest my case. Carl Draper, at C Draper 180, jumps in. You're right, Billy. Frank protects his fighters by gifting them wins. Eddie sends his fighters into proper fights. Nominated from Liam there for that one. That's all the ones I've got, boys. I think you'll agree, Andy, uh, as you give your nominations. Quite a strong lineup this week. Absolutely, mate. It's absolutely heaving this week. Um, but favourite, should go there. Give me your top three if you've got them. Top Ooh, four. Top three. That's an interesting one. So we've got Carl Draper coming in there. We've got Sean McDyer. 
Glenn Rush. Rushton was definitely one. Eddie, talking bullshit Eddie. about the numbers. Uh, Frank calling Daniel Dubois. Yeah. Anthony, Anthony was a pretty strong one as well. Just flicking through them quickly. Yeah, Glenn Rushton is definitely one. Connor Ben was now Johnny Nelson. Obviously, the lucky punch. Lucky I like punch. Gary Young's assessment. He doesn't yes. know if he'll be a better pro than the amateur boxer because amateur boxing is basically people who've tried boxing and are shit at it. Quite a good one. Uh, Dylan yeah, White, really go, just couldn't find cut a boxer. Exactly. Amateurs. Uh, sporting icons as well. And Matthew Macklin for his burner account. What have you got, Andy? Oh, Matthew Macklin. Oh, what a moment. What a moment. Hey, I think he cleared that up, didn't he? Didn't he? he was quoting, oh, he was trying to quote someone's Twitter or something. He was, trying to, he was trying to do that, you know, when you quote someone on Twitter and he copied and pasted it instead. So I think it looked like he had a burner account, but he didn't really. So I'm going to have to squat Let's just pretend that, that he did, shall we? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, he did. And a burner phone well. as well, I bet you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's red hot. Red hot. <laughs> hey, Bob Arden for saying that you know, Dylan White got what he deserved. Talked too much about fearing and knocked on his fucking ass. Um, but Glenn Rushton for me, man, that was just absolute amateur. I mean, talk about potential. You know, we don't need any more deaths in the fucking ring. We don't really need any more deaths this year, at least, for fuck's sake. Um, I've got a late contender here. Uh-huh. Gary Russell Jr. He's back on the internet this week, man. Um, he's come back for Terence Crawford, and he quoted Gabriel. He said, "Terence Crawford, stop crying like a little bitch." He said, um, "He said you want to see me, so fuck Kell Brook. He's not going to take that short money that you're offering him. You don't want to fight Kell Brook, as if fucking Terence Crawford's handing out the money himself. Like, uh, you uh, you don't want to fight Kell Brook, so fight me." Tell Bob I am to make an offer to PBC or something because I'll come and fight you. You said you're going to break my neck, so let's do it. It's not about the title. It's not about the title. It's just Gary Russell Jr. want to come. It's easy for him to say all this shit when he's in lockdown, by the way. 126 saying he can go down to 118. Talking about Terence Crawford at 147 who could go up to 154 if he wanted to. Who's fucking... Like, you want to go beat someone at featherweight. Like, we go for calling out a fucking welterweight. Like... Jesus Christ, this guy, like, could he be any more fucking annoying, Gary Russell Jr.? Like, he must think he's Scarface. Every time I see him, he's in some kind of, saying some kind of sinister shit to fucking Santa Cruz's dad at time, fucking just hanging out, making these tough guys and you're talking to the phone. Fuck out of here, man. Yeah, just see the way you see the voice on him and everything. Yeah, exactly. You see the way he's fucking nonce, by the way. What a fucking situation. Why should you go to someone's dad and listen? Say, I've got hands in your pops. What fuck you, bitch? Pro fighter or not, nobody's fucking scared of Gary Russell Jr., let me tell you. He's a fucking 126 pound man. He wants to relax like good fucking his callers to Terence Crawford because soon this lockdown is going to be over, please God. And they're going to run into each other at some fight in Vegas. So let's see this fucking Gary Russell. Go back to fucking Mr. Tough Guy. Like, what a fucking... Sooner the better he gets back, man. I was that might be his one fight earlier. for the year, Rob. That might be his one fight. Yeah, but he won't fight more than usual, wouldn't it? Like, fuck me, the guy's fight. He's, and that's the other thing, like, his activity level. Who does he think he is? Like, nobody in the boxing world is thinking about Gary Russell unless he's talking about Terence Crawford. Like, so... Barely with a week for him, man. Like, little creep him. Well said, Rob. You won't hear us talking about Gary Russell extensively on a Sunday evening nomination there. Andy, you're going for Glenn Rushton, I believe? Absolutely. Okay, Smido, any nominations first of all? Thanks for sticking with us, by the way. Always good to have you here. No nominations, but I'm voting for Johnny Nelson. I thought that was class. 
Oh, there we go. One for Glenn, one for Johnny Nelson. I'm stuck between Eddie and his bullshitting and Gary Young. Gary 2468. I thought that was quite a good one. <laughs> the deciding vote is with you, Robert. Yeah, I'm going to go for Eddie again. Like, it's, you know, he's had a, like, he was singing Ain't No Sunshine last Friday, then last Saturday, he's fucking crying like a little bitch. And then he's been losing all week to Frank Warren and then loses again when he tries to come back. Frank Warren, you might as well change his name to Frank White, by the way. He's like the fucking king of New York when he got out of jail. He just come rocking him with the suit like he's fucking, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but uh, Eddie this week, Eddie could have it again, man. Evening, Ed. Evening, Edward. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be WBA titles tonight then. So we'll give the regular title to Glenn Rushton. We'll give Johnny Nelson the uh, WBA super title. I don't know whether that's um, better defences than he made of his WBO. We'll give Eddie the WBA gold. Isn't that a title, Andy? WBA gold yep. title? We can give him the global I, title. We'll give him the glo- globe. That's a WBO global title, isn't it? Yeah, but listen, he's got a book coming out now. So he's, he's saying it's called Relentless, How to Take Over the World. But I actually asked him, I haven't had a response back yet, but does it also cover his, the, the, the chapter about conquering America? Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's the, that is the question. Evening, Edward. Evening, Eddie. Good luck with that. Yes, yeah, so I will take for Gary Young, amateur boxer extraordinaire, the, the, the old-fashioned, boring WBA world title. He can take that one. And we'll finish up for the evening, shall we, episode 388. Uh, just before we do, Andy, I don't want to end on a sad note, but I neglected to mention this last week. One of our listeners, unfortunately, passed yeah. away a couple of weeks ago. A regular contributor, always sent in questions. Patreon subscriber as well. I was, I was on his Facebook. He was a good guy. Daryl Jelly uh, used to send in questions about Ted Cheeseman. Not sure of the ins and outs of it. I think he contracted some kind of virus. Not sure if it's COVID related, so I don't want to speak out of turn. But it was sad to see Daryl passing away. I mean, he's younger than us, for fuck's sake. Like, so obviously, I want to just say RIP to Daryl. I feel sorry because remember he used, to, he, he used to hand in the Cheeseman questions every week. I used to lose my shit at it. I was like, fuck you. Just stop sending the Cheeseman questions. He always took it well though, didn't he? He did, eh? I was like, and then like, he mentioned it. I was like, fucking hell. So I, um, yeah, it's just like a, life's like, uh, it's just like that, you know, he's just, he's just never know. So rest in peace, mate. Absolutely. Rest, rest in peace, peace as well. Uh, Tommy Owens uh, passed away yesterday. So, um, Racing and my dad's an England massive boxing fan and listened to the pod a couple of times, even though he's in his 80s and that, and uh, involved in the amateur scene over in London. And also, rest in peace, Tommy Owens as well. Absolutely well said, Rob. Let's close up for the evening then, shall we? Congratulations to everybody who's won Bell of the Weeks and well done to you. You've stuck with us throughout this, what, two hours, 20 minutes or so. A bit less this week, only the 14,000 in the chat. Hit the thumbs up button, hit the thumbs down button if we think we're shit and leave a five-star review. Thanks to Troy Williamson who joined us earlier on. Stephen Lynch, a good two and a half hours ago as well. Seems like a lifetime ago now. Denzel Bentley, best of luck going forward to him. Thanks to Gabe for jumping on. Adam Smido-Smith was with us. So was rapping Rob Kelly, Andy Patterson. I've been Steve Wellings. We'll see you all again. Same time, same place next week for episode three, eight, nine. And bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.